Hello everyone, we once again must begin our show by paying respects to a beloved member of the anime and manga industry who has passed away and left us recently. Recently, it was announced that William Frederick Knight has passed away uh, as of November 8th at the age of 88, so... William Frederick Knight was an actor you have heard in so many anime dubs, especially in older male roles. Like, if you look at his credits, you'll see, like, he's played more than one old man in many a show. He was known best for his role as Aramaki in the Ghost in Shell franchise pretty much every installment since Standalone Complex. Like, he has reprised the role of Aramaki, and he had such a distinct voice as that character that really defined that character for me as a viewer. But also, his voice is just really recognizable, and he did so many other really standout performances, like as Sanzo in Naruto, Gordon Rosewater in Big O. He just this year played Kenzo in Jojo Stone Ocean and did a phenomenal job as the character. It was a riotous performance. It was absolutely incredibly funny and just perfect. Like up until this year, at the age of 88, he was still putting on amazing performances. And it truly is sad to lose just an incredible talent. It's such a distinctive voice and voice actor. I mean, to quote Stephanie Shea, who tweeted her own condolences when she found out the news, you know, William Knight was a passionate spunky man. He loved acting. He showed up in so many different projects, TV shows, infomercials, videos in escape rooms, and plays. He still did plays. He's just an incredible actor, incredible performances, just an incredible distinctive voice and talent and i will miss hearing him in shows i will miss hearing him as aramaki as whatever old man character there is in an anime that i can immediately pick out my ears prick up and i'm like ah that is william frederick knight so my thanks and my respects to william frederick knight and my condolences go out to his friends family and loved ones and in honor and in commemoration of his incredible career, life, and legacy, just wanted to take a moment of time to pay our respects. This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, episode 220. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, 
but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lo Ramayasha. And today we have a massive news roundup for you. November, fall is always a huge month for news. What would Anime NYC? It certainly is Thanksgiving season because it certainly gives us a lot of news. But are we thankful for it? Well, we will see. It depends <laughs> on how tired we get talking about it all. But it's a lot of exciting stuff because we got serialization news updates. We got a lot of licensing news. We got a lot of cool industry developments, like big industry news to talk about in terms of mergers, partnerships happening, partnerships not happening. It's been a big, big time of change in the industry and of course we got a lot of anime related news some special interest news so there's a lot to talk about it is definitely going to be and the fall season is early the gift that gives and giving when it comes to news from the manga industry oh i'm already so stuffed from thanksgiving i don't think i could take anymore but i'm gonna try no, i mean these are the leftovers so <laughs> they gotta wolf down uh, try your best i gotta clear out the fridge <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we gotta clean the fridge before the Christmas feast. We can't have these leftovers linger for another month. They're already accumulated uh, many a page's worth, and uh, we gotta we gotta start wolfing it down. I never thought I'd say it, but I'm really hoping that by the time we do our next news episode in the next month or so, that uh, our stockings aren't too full after December. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they're not sagging down from the furnace to the floor. Oh, I can only carry so many gifts. Ugh. Ugh. But anyway, uh, Will... Wonder if Santa's return policy. <laughs> um, but before we get on to any news, though, just really quickly, because it should be out by the time you're listening to this, over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash mavericks, the latest new bonus podcast we have just uploaded is a special episode talking about our thoughts on One Piece Film Red. That's right. Uh, One Piece Film Red was the latest One Piece movie that came out uh, a little earlier in the month of November. Lum and I both saw it, as well as the Saturday Night Shoggy crew, as I'm going to call them, with our friends V-Lord, Marion, and Sakaki, all saw the film, and we got together and talked about it. I thought it was a pretty good discussion and uh you know i couldn't help but think the whole time i've been like editing the show like oh you know we got a lot of like people in our past survey being like hey why don't you guys talk more about one piece where's the one piece discussion well here it is here's more one piece talk for all the people who desperately want us to talk about one piece so there you go yep here's a piece of one piece discussion for you even though it's only one piece Well, you know what? They're going to get one piece and they're going to like it. Yeah, hopefully you're not seeing red, but <laughs> you are seeing the film red. Oh, I, I hope everybody got a chance to see it because um, I don't want to give too much away, but uh, it was a pretty good movie. So you should, uh, mm-hmm. you should, you should definitely listen to our film red discussion again over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mavericks at the $5 tier uh, where we upload a bunch of different bonus podcasts. One every month at the end of the month. And uh, yeah, that, that's our latest one. Go listen to it if you want to hear us talk more about One Piece. And yeah, I think that's about everything I want to talk about at the top of the show before we get into news. And I think uh, I think we should just get right into the news. And like always, we do have some lists to talk about. And I'm going to go ahead and talk about the New York Times bestselling graphic books and manga list for November. Uh, not a whole lot to talk about here, but you'll notice a certain series has been taking over the list as we uh, continue to talk about these lists. Uh, starting at the bottom here at number 14, we have Chainsaw Man Volume 4, with Volume 3 ranking at number 11, Volume 2 
ranking at number nine, and volume one, ranking at number four. So four whole volumes of Chainsaw Man are on this list. And I, just to get this out of the way, I feel like it's been a while since like one series has had like even more than two volumes on this list. I feel like it's been a while since we've seen that. Yeah, definitely. Like uh, almost a third of this top 15 here, and certainly like a half of the manga on this but as for everything else on the list, we have Volume 8 of Spy Family, ranking at number 10, with Volume 4 of Kaiju number 8, ranking at number 8, serendipitously, that's actually pretty cool, mm-hmm. uh, with Volume 32 of My Hero Academia, ranking at number 2, the newest volume of My Hero Academia, ranking close to the top. And um, uh, again, uh, other than Chainsaw Man taking up half the manga spots on this list, not a whole lot of surprises, I think. I'm, I'm glad to see that Kaiju number 8 continues to do well. I wasn't entirely sure like how well it was going to sell after volume one, but clearly Kaiju number eight is here to stay and uh, people are really enjoying it. Yeah, it's another breakout hit just on manga reputation and interest alone. So, I mean, yeah, it's great to see Kaiju number eight, really hot title, really big title. And I can only imagine how much bigger it'll get when that anime does come out. But already it's uh, really competing with Chainsaw and My Hero Academia and, you know, it's is giving them a good fight for the dot spots. Mm-hmm. And uh, we might as well use that as like a transition into the book scan list, because I'm just going to say right off the bat, uh, I mean, obviously a certain series that might not be Chainsaw Man uh, has taken over most of the list. Just going to get that out of the way. But uh, I think Jump Plus is uh, really kind of making themselves a good spot on these lists. But we'll, we'll talk about them when we get to that. Starting at the top, we have My Hero Academia, Volume 32, once again, at number two on the list. It's the only volume of My Hero Academia on the list, but I think it really says a lot that, like, even though there are series that take up way more spots on this list, that the newest volume of My Hero Academia still manages to outsell them all. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, My Hero Academia is still a big title, right? It's still huge hit, you know? So, obviously, also, we have the newest season that has resurged, of course, interest, but obviously, like, My Hero is one of the biggest titles still in the markets, even though everyone's all about those chainsaws and those spy families, she still got people holding out for a hero. And the kaijus. Yeah, and the kaijus. Um, and, uh, I think this is a pretty good volume too, because I think this is around like the, la- this is like the Lady Nagant fight, which, uh, I still think is like probably one of my favorite sections of the manga, actually. It's just so good. Yeah. It was a good fight, for sure. And that was a great character, especially. And it's a great cover. Oh, yeah. Super cool. But here, we're going to get to the series that's basically taken over this entire list. The only series on this list that has more than one spot with Chainsaw Man. And I'm going to go through all of them right here because uh, Volume 1 ranks at number 3. Volume 2 ranks at number 4. Volume 3 ranks at number 7 with Volume 4 ranking at number 8. Volume 10 ranking at number 11. Volume 11 ranking at number 12. Volume 7 ranking at number 14. Volume 9 ranking at number 16. And Volume 5 ranking at number 19. So almost every volume of Chainsaw Man is on this list, with the exceptions of volume 6 and 8. Almost the entire series is on this list. <laughs> um, and I shouldn't be surprised, because um, I forgot to mention that this is the book scan list for October, which was the month that the Chainsaw Man anime came out, so I don't think either of us expected Chainsaw Man to not take over this list, partly. 
Yeah, Chainsaw Fever is roaring. It's sawing down all the competition. It is over half of the manga on this list and almost half of the top 20. So Chainsaw Mania, everyone's talking about Chainsaw Man. Oh, man. I think this is the closest we've seen to like a My Hero Academia style like takeover of the list in a while. Yeah. If not even more, honestly. Yeah, no, I mean, everyone's all about those chainsaws. You can't shut those chainsaws up. It just won't stop revving. No, they're very loud, and it's <laughs> making it hard to sleep. I wish they would calm them down a bit. Just like most Chainsaw Man fans, am I right? No, I'm, I'm kidding. I joke. But uh, so Chainsaw Man aside, like I said, Chainsaw Man is really the only series on this list that has more than one volume of its series listed, because everything else only has like one volume, but I still think it makes pretty good showings. Uh, because at number four on the list, we have Kaiju number eight, volume four. Once again, very serendipitous for Kaiju number eight. It was number eight on the New York Times list and now it's number four with volume four on this list it's like poetry it rhymes yeah <laughs> it's an interesting flip there eight on the new york times list because it's kaiju number eight and number four on the book scan because it's volume four mm-hmm. and hey eight is divisible by four four times two is eight so there you go <laughs> yep Next up, we have Spy Family, Volume 8 and Number 6, the second Jump Plus series out of the three that we're going to talk about. Spy Family still does very well. Glad to see it's doing pretty good. I'm interested in the next time it'll take over the list, or maybe that time's passed. I don't know. Yeah, I guess Spy Mania got cut down by Chainsaw Mania. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. To be fair, I feel like most things would get cut down by Chainsaw Man. Now there's only one family left, and it's all lonely. <laughs> Chainsaw Man took out the family. Oh, that's unfortunate. That's a that's a crossover I'd I'd like to see. Even though that would be that would be gory as hell. Actually, that'd probably be traumatizing. F- forget I said anything. Next up, we have Toilet Bound Hanako Kun, Volume Sixteen, at number ten. Toilet Bound Hanako Kun. We said it a million times. Still a bestseller over at Yen Press. I think it's pretty much guaranteed to always have one volume listed on the list every month, and I'm glad to see it do well. Yeah, especially as like the solo non-viz title on this list, <laughs> uh, manga-wise, because Yen also has solo leveling on the list as well. But still, yeah, it's good. It's great to see that Toilet Bon Hanako-kun sells competitively with these other Shonen Jump big hits. And, you know, there's another publisher that has a title that kind of keeps it from just being completely Viz-dominated, even though Viz is still dominating pretty much. It's good to see that the list isn't completely Viz-dominated. It's only like, what, 80% dominated? I mean, yeah, I mean, in this list, it is like pretty much 95% dominated. (laughs) 90%, 90%, so. But going back to those Viz titles, uh, Demon Slayer Volume 1 ranks at number 13 on the list. And, you know, Demon Slayer, as far as like Volume 1s go, you know, it's not as frequent as, say, like the first volume of Attack on Titan or My Hero Academia, but it's still like, it's like the third most frequent Volume 1. Well, I guess, well, no, I guess Chainsaw Man at this probably probably be the third most frequent one. It's, it's up there, I would say. Yeah, it's another evergreen. People still passionate about Demon Slayer. Probably still new people getting into it, I would assume. You never know. Yeah, surely always. Uh, next up, we have Comey Can't Communicate, Volume 21, ranking at number 15. Comey Can't Communicate, once again, I would say out of all of the, like, jump-heavy lists that is kind of the book scan list most of the time, it's it's kind of the little shoggy engine that could compared to all the really big heavy hitters. And it's nice to have, like, a non-battle like battle 
manga on the list too, so good rep for Slice of Life rom-com. And then, like you mentioned earlier, Solo Leveling Volume 5 ranks at number 17 on the list. Uh, Solo Leveling, I will be genuinely interested in seeing how many spots it takes up by the time that anime comes out. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be more than just a solo volume on the list. <laughs> Hopefully. I'm sure it'll level up quite a bit. And then, uh, really, I think like the biggest surprise of the list here is uh, Don Da Don, Volume 1, ranking at number 18. Don Da Don, the first volume of that just came out very recently. I remember when this came out with like the first 20 or so chapters, like simulpubbed and ready to go, and everybody started reading it and was very into it. I was kind of interested in seeing like how this would do. Like I, I did immediately think like, oh, this will definitely end up on the list. Like I kind of expected it to not end up there until like the anime came out, or I guess the eventual anime came out. You know, uh, yeah. Like I've been kind of hinting at, like it's it's kind of nice to see like the Jump Plus series do well enough. Like it's it's nice to see some of that representation because I do think Jump Plus has a lot of really great titles. Yeah, I mean, I expected Don to Don to be a big hit, so excited to see that the first print volumes release here is been successful enough for it to rank among the top 20 books in the book scan. And I am interested to see how far Don the Don can go on this list. Gosh, Don the Don, dang it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Don the Don, I'm, I'm glad to see it on the list because um, I unfortunately still haven't like gotten too much past like what we read of it on the show. But um, from what I remember, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I really would like to get back to it at some point because I've, I've seen things here and there that make me think like, oh, it's doing that. I should really get back to it. Yep, it's continued to be great and get even wilder and wilder. And yeah, I'm continuing to enjoy it. And I'm glad to see it's continuing to do really well. Isn't it like 80 something chapters in at this point? Yeah. Okay, because that was definitely one of those things that like I hadn't been keeping up with for a while. And like one of the last times I checked in on it, I was like so shocked to see like, oh, it's that far in. Whoa, so much time has passed. <laughs> I mean, it is basically, you know, weekly, so it'll creep up on you if you don't keep up with it. Oh, yeah. Look, as someone who is trying to catch up with uh, most of Shona Jump in time for our hopeful jump retrospective, I really... Time really gets away from you. Uh, yeah. some, sometimes in the form of uh, of almost 20 different manga series that I try to keep up with. God, I don't know. My brain, this is a whole other different tangent, but as much, as much as I really try to keep up with Shonen Jump, I do not think I was like, my brain is not built to keep up with this many series at one time. <laughs> mm. uh, it's a lot, but that's neither here nor there. Um, that's basically about it for the list. I don't know if I really have anything much else to add unless you do, Lum. No, I mean, it is a lot of usual suspects on this list. A big notable thing here is just the sheer domination and prominence of Chainsaw Man, which was to be expected. We kind of was calling, we're all calling this for a long time that this would happen when the anime came out. And I'm just waiting for the moment where all 11 volumes were Heck, even the 12th volume and more will get on the list all at the same time and take up all the top 20, basically. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that happens. But otherwise, you know, it's it's good to see that there are other series that are continuing to do well that aren't kind of the usual specifics or maybe are going to be new members of the usual specifics in the case of Don the Dons. So, yeah, not the most variety in this list, but, you know, definitely it stands out as a reflection of what's hot right now. Mm -hmm. I guess the only other thing I'll add is that I am genuinely interested in seeing like 
how long Chainsaw Man keeps up its momentum because there really was just like, and I, I know I probably mentioned this a lot, but there really, if you listen back to our old episodes of the podcast, it felt like a really long time before we got like a real break from My Hero Academia, not totally taking over the list. So I'm really wondering like, as far as that kind of thing goes, how long Chainsaw Man will just continue to take up most of the list. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how long it keeps that up. But um, I think that's really about it for those lists. And uh, if it's okay with you, we're getting into our serialization news now. Uh, would it be okay if I talked about the first couple pieces? Sure. All right. So admittedly, I don't keep up with the super manga, but I did want to talk about this because I thought this was interesting. Uh, so it was announced in the January 2023 issue of Shueisha's V Jump that the Dragon Ball Super manga by Toyotaro will be resuming soon with a new arc in the February 2023 issue uh, that'll be coming out on December 21st. And um, this new arc is really interesting because uh, as we can see from the key art, it's going to be featuring both Teen Goten and Teen Trunks as superheroes. And this will be a prequel story related to Dragon Ball Super Superhero, uh, apparently before moving on to an adaption of the film itself, which, uh, I mean, first off, I think this is really cool because, uh, and Lum, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure like when it came time for Broly, I think that just got like a splash page and then it, then, then they just kind of move on to the next arc. Yeah, it was like one panel, <laughs> like in between, like kind of transitioning from the end of the Tournament of Power straight into the beginning of the Moro arc, like in the same chapter. Like, there was just one panel saying, oh, everything was hanky-dory after Turn of Power, so Frieza was alive, and the next bit of trouble he caused was a big event, but that's a story for another time. Basically, go watch the movie. <laughs> Here's just one panel of promotional art, and uh, we got to continue on with the new arc in the manga, but yeah, no. This time, yeah, it looks like they are going to actually adapt the superhero movie in the manga itself, but... I am glad that they're going to, you know, have a bit of an original preamble with Goten Trunks, and I'm glad that they're going to focus on a story with them as teenagers. And it sounds like it's going to be just kind of fun hygiene things as those superheroes. I really would like to see the return of Great Cyan. I guess Goten and Trunks are going to do their own superhero thing, but it's like, you know, it's a missed opportunity to not have Cyan in the superhero movie. Seriously. I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, but either way, like, yeah, I think that's a, it's a fun change of pace. You know, the Super manga is so Goku and Vegeta focused. So now we're going to get a bit start to the story where it's, hey, let's focus on some of the other characters as the stars of the storyline for a bit. Mm-hmm. Admittedly, when I first saw this news, I didn't know that they were going to do like a full adaptation of the movie. Like, I thought this was just going to be like, like a side story thing that was going to like lead into superhero, but they weren't going to actually like commit to like a full adaptation. So I, I didn't actually know that uh, like, until just a few seconds ago. So I think that's pretty cool that uh, they're, they're going to take on like the film itself. I honestly would have been okay if this was just like a mini adventure with Trunks and Goten that just happens to take place around the time of that movie and they didn't have to commit to like adapting the movie. But I think this will be interesting. Like I, again, I haven't read the super manga, but I, I know at least that like the super manga takes a lot of its own like liberties when it comes to like adapting, you know, like the movies especially and, and the anime and stuff. But uh, well, yeah, it's not one to one. Yeah. The same story as the anime. There, there, there are a lot of changes in the Tournament of Power, especially like it does not line up at all. I remember hearing about that. Um, I'm interested in seeing how the manga will take on the movie and how different it'll be compared to the movie. Actually, I might actually like check this out and read it. I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I'm curious to see if there are going to be like any major story changes. I'm hoping for more expansions of anything, you know, maybe more time with the gammas, fleshing out the characters, getting to just see more yeah. of them before the fight ing and all that maybe more cute slice of lifey things for piccolo and pawn and stuff like that 
I am totally with you, by the way. I'm hoping that there is more Saiyan Man, because it is kind of a shame that, like, for a Dragon Ball movie about superheroes, no Saiyan Man. I do agree that that was a big missed opportunity. Yeah, I mean, Gohan is a superhero. He pretended to be superhero. Why don't you acknowledge that in the movie? Uh, that's called Dragon Ball Superhero, where he's fighting other superheroes. I don't know. <sighs> I don't know. Maybe Toriyama forgot. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. That sounds like such a meme answer, but that's probably actually totally possible. But uh, yeah, I think this will be cool, and uh, I can't wait to check it out at some point. Something else that I can't wait to check out, hopefully at some point, is the Black Lagoon manga, because it was announced recently that Black Lagoon, the manga by Rei Hiroe, will be coming back in Sunday GX in the January 2023 issue coming out on December 19th of this year, and we'll have the cover. So I'm really happy that Black Lagoon's coming. I'm happy for all the Black Lagoon fans. I admittedly still need to check out the manga. That's something I really want to do because I, I really love the anime, especially after rewatching it, I think a year or two ago at this point. I, it's, it's just, it's a good series and I'm glad it's coming back. And I'm, I'm glad that Hiroway is like up for doing more Black Lagoon because I know we talked about at some point on the show about how it came out that like Hiroway hadn't really been working on Black Lagoon due to his depression. And I hope he's feeling better. It's seeming like he's feeling better enough to at least work on Black Lagoon, but I, I hope he's doing well. Yeah, that's the most important thing is that mental health wise, Hiroe wants to draw more manga. He's not feeling like burned out or forced to. And yeah, I mean, it's good to see Black Lagoon come back. The most recent volume of the manga just came out in English just a couple months ago. So I've been meaning to get around to checking that out. But yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get the continuation of the current arc, the series resuming, and we'll see where the story is going to continue to go from here. But, you know, just happy to see Black Lagoon come back as, you know, it's been 20 years since it started. So, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Two decades on, still trucking along the adventures of Rock and Revy and all the, the crew. I really hope that at some point, whenever the current manga arc ends, that hopefully maybe we'll get another series of OVAs. I think that would be really cool, but I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah, they could make a OVA series just off of the previous arc, Wild Red Card, but um, yeah, I mean, hopefully we'll get more Black Lagoon anime at some point. Oh, that would be really nice, because uh, when I rewatched those uh, Roberta OVAs, I was just like, oh man, this, I think that was the point where I was like, oh yeah, this series is like so good, I wish there was more of it. <laughs> but yeah, happy to see Black Lagoon back, and uh, I can't wait to eventually read it at some point. Yeah, I'm excited to read it again. And there's another thing that I'm sure a lot of people are excited to continue reading. I'm excited and hoping that we'll be able to read it officially if it uh, does well. And that's Golden Kamui Doctor Satoru Noda returning, relaunching his previous manga, Supin Amarada, his ice hockey manga he did in Weekly Young Jump back in 2014 that ultimately was short-lived, but, uh, or rather, it came back out in 2011 and ended in 2012. It was short-lived, and then he came out with Golden Kamui in 2014. And now, with the success of Golden Kamui, having done that series for nearly a decade, he's coming back after a decade to do Supin Marad. He's like, hey, I did my successful series. Now you gotta let me do my passion project again. It's only fair. And that's great. Yeah. So it's gonna continue and it's basically to continue the story of these top ice skaters in Olympic 
hopefuls and, you know, a pair of hockey player brothers who introduce like this Olympic hopeful to this new career of uh, a new sport of ice hockey. So yeah, it's exciting to see that Satoru Noda is basically able to draw the series that he's always wanted to draw fully. He's been able to return to it and flesh it out more. That's great. That he's able to ride on the skits Golden Kamui to be able to do that. And I'm excited for it. And I'm hoping that if this relaunch is successful enough, we'll see a license of this and uh, be able to read it officially in English too. Hopefully. So good on you, Satoru Noda. We also got a lot of new manga coming out from a lot of very popular beloved authors. Masanori Morita, the author of Rookies, is launching a new serialization that he said that He's completed and turned in his first manuscript for a new serialization for the fourth time in his career. It's not going to be a sequel or spinoff related to his uh, previous works. It's going to be a new suspense horror manga called Zashishu, which is going to launch in the first 2023 issue of Grand Jump on December 7th. So a new original work from Masanori Morita. And yeah, I mean, I liked what I read of Rookies. I think he's got a great style. I'm very excited that uh, he's going into horror manga now. And I'm curious to see how this one will pan out. I am really interested in checking this out eventually, but seeing this announcement really does just remind me that, man, we need Morita's manga in English officially, like yesterday. Like, yeah, I've always wanted to read Rookies, and I've also especially have always wanted to read Rokudanashi Blues. Rokudanashi Blues. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, I desperately want to be able to read Morita's works at some point. I hope that maybe in an ideal world, we would get Zashisu maybe picked up and maybe whatever publisher picks that up, we'll, we'll maybe kind of keep an eye on that and see like, oh, does anybody want any more of Morita's work? I don't know. Like, And then we would get more of his work after that. Again, in a perfect world, that would happen. I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I'm trying to be optimistic that it will. Yeah, I mean... These are 30-year-old manga at this point, so it's kind of a difficult sell, especially because, oh, it's a 30, Rookie's a 30-year-old baseball manga, or is a 30-year-old delinquent punk manga. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, you know, never say never. It'll always be like a surface like Manga Planet that picks it up. Oh, that would, that would be great. I, I think they're almost done with some of those longer, older Jump series, I think. Yeah, like Otoko Juku. Yeah. And Gin. So, yeah, we'll see. But yeah, hopefully we will get more to his work officially in English one day. One day. Let's start bothering Seven Seas. Yeah. Speaking of other Jump-related authors, though this author has switched to a different publisher, Gaku Kachiwaka of Hina Change is launching a new series in Geki Dayo called Daddy Sexy Dolls. And this is basically out. It came out on the January 2023 issue of the Geki Dayo. And it's basically a human drama about a young girl who lost her mother at a young age and is seeking love and affection and to help her announce her father purchases an emotionless made robot named 40. And the two girls start loving each other and start discovering things about each other. So basically it seems to be kind of like Time of Eve. It's like, you know, kind of a lonely person starts to form kind of a connection with their kind of robot household helper who she ends up discovering has more humanity to her than she expected of a robot and they form a really close 
personal bond. And I think that Kaji Kawa does a good job of exploring like interesting, messy relationships and psychology. So I am interested in hearing and seeing how this one turns out. I don't think it'll probably be as like messy a situation as Hina Change was, but you know, it is a very intriguing concept. Oh, Hina Change. Okay. It actually kind of took me a second to register because I, I hadn't read Hina Change in a bit. Like, okay, okay. 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 Now, now I know what to be in for, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be really funny if a series called Daddy's Sexy Dolls actually ended up being like really emotionally poignant. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, based on the description and then, like, the art, it seems like there's a maybe tongue-in-cheekness to the title that it actually is going to be a lot more serious or going to be a lot more, you know, contemplative than you would expect from a title like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'd be interested in checking it out. Speaking of other manga about, like, different forms of relationships, we have a new Fumi Yoshinaka manga coming in the January 2023 issue of Kokohana, so it's already out as of number 28. This series is called Tamaki and Amane, and yeah, it's the description that, that we have of this is that it's about the different shapes that love takes. And you have a key visual, just kind of a older looking man and older looking woman kind of looking at each other. So maybe the story is a relationship, but kind of like two like older people kind of finding each other. And yeah, I'm definitely interested to see how this turns out. I enjoy Yoshinaga's work, like Uku and What Did You Eat Yesterday and All My Darling Daughters. So, you know. She is a great artist known for writing really poignant relationship dramas and stories. So definitely, definitely keen to see how this one pans out as well. And hopefully it got licensed. For kind of the flip side, in terms of like authors who are known for writing kind of raunchy, steamy stuff, we got a new series from Nozomi Mino. We mentioned that she was coming out with a new series before, but now we have some more details about it. It's going to be called Crow and Rabbit. It's going to launch in the February 23rd issue of Cheese Magazine on December 23rd. And basically all we know about it right now, the only description we have of it is this love is a taboo. So seemingly it's going to be about forbidden uh, love between like kind of these two people. The guy looks like kind of more of a punk delinquent type. He's got like these tattoos on his hands and stuff like that. And then the girl looks like more of maybe kind of like the popular primer type. So maybe it's like kind of, oh, the taboo love is because like they're from kind of different social circles. Or there's probably even more steamy reasons for that perhaps but yeah we'll see and i'm sure fans of yakuza lover will definitely want to keep an eye out for mino's new work i really like the character design work so far yeah i think especially like the guy with his tattoos he looks really interesting now we're going to move on to some more shocky stuff. We've got a new manga from Hiyoichi Nanatsuki, who is best known for Project Arms. They launched a new manga on Sunday Webry called Suki Monogakari. And this is a kind of police type manga. It's about a police division known as the Seventh Division that handles supernatural cases where criminals get possessed by evil spirits. And it's about a group of young police officers with special powers working together to solve these supernatural cases. So it's similar to a lot of things like, you know, Witch Hunter Robin and things like that. But yeah, you know, Charged Arms was a very interesting series. I'm definitely interested in more of Hanatsuki's work. And yeah, I'm curious to hear and see how this one will turn out. 
And, you know, continuing on the Shaggy train, we're getting another manga from Inoue, who was the author of The Duke of Debt and His Maid, also on Sunday Webry, starting in spring 2023. And we don't really know too much about what the series will be about, but Inoue did post an image of the manga's heroine, who is like eating some dango and given like kind of a peace sign and under an umbrella with presumably maybe the male antagonist. So yeah, we don't really know too much about it, but I've heard very good things about Duke of Dentist Made, that it's a very kind of sweet, thoughtful series. So I'm looking forward to hearing how this one turns out as well. Now we're moving on to some new Kodansha things. We got a new manga from Emma Toyama called The Witch May Knows the Queen's Secret. That has come out as of the December 1st issue of Nakayoshi. And it's a new fantasy manga that's centered on a lonely girl who can see the future and is employed as a new maid under the queen of her kingdom. And the queen wants to marry and produce a hair. But one day the girl discovers the queen's secret. And hmm, I wonder what the queen's secret is. But Emma Toyama is known for making some really cute little rom-com series so you know i'm looking forward to seeing how this one turns out it certainly has kind of a intriguing secret mystery in its title that makes me curious to want to check out and see oh what's it all about We've got some new manga for the Gundam fans out there because Kazuya Kondo is launching the Mobile Suit Gundam 0079 Episode Luna 2 manga in the generation of Gundam Ace, which has come out as of November 26th. And it's basically going to tell a previously unstold story from Kondo's previous Gundam 0079 manga. And Kondo is an author mangaka known for, you know, his adaptation of the original Mobusu Gundam 79 series. He did a 12-volume manga adaptation of the anime. He also did a Zeta Gundam adaptation. And he's done a lot of adaptations for UC stuff and has continued to do a lot of Gundam manga projects since. So this is him returning to the world of the original series and basically telling a a new story, an untold story in it. And I'm curious to see what that'll be all about. And I hope that one day we can get Warakondo's manga available officially in English as well. Now we're moving on to kind of some updates on existing serializations. So Togo Revengers recently ended and had kind of a controversial ending. I know a lot of people are very dissatisfied with it. From what I heard about it, uh-huh, it did uh-huh. not sound very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it had a, a very interesting choice in its, its twist. Regardless, it seems like the ending, just like how the ending of Tokyo Revengers seemingly was not much of an ending, uh, I guess that opened the door for like, okay, there's more stories to tell. So, you know, Tokyo Revengers is going to have a special arc that is going to be shown at the manga's like large-scale exhibition Rapungi in November 2023. And there is also going to be a spin-off called Tokyo Revengers Extra that Wakui is going to be doing itself. It's going to be an eight-chapter spin-off that is basically going to be a prequel about the founders of the Okimanji gang. Uh, the first chapter is about the Wounded Tigers. It's probably going to be about Katsutora. And uh, these extra manga chapters originally were bundled with the Tokyo Revengers Blu-ray and DVD releases, but now they're being serialized in Shonen Magazine 
themselves. So yeah, I mean, Tokyo Revengers uh, still telling more stories. So you know, if you're we're unsatisfied with the ending, maybe these new stories will satisfy you a little bit better, or maybe the ending soured you. But you know, I I have to read it to, for myself, but uh, did not not sound <laughs> like a good choice to me. Oh boy, if if the ending is as controversial as I'm hearing it is, uh, we are going to have a lot to talk about probably when we eventually do a follow up episode about it. Speaking of series that had an ending, but not really, uh, Moriarty Patriot ended the first part of its series, the Valley of Fellows arc. So, you know, the this arc was named after the fourth and final Sherlock Holmes novel. So now, what is the direction of Moriarty Patriot from here? That's going to be an interesting question. But apparently this was just the first part that has ended recently, and the story will continue. And uh, I'm curious to see what this second act of that story will be. In terms of other Jump Square series-related news, you know, Kaguya-sama recently... In terms of other Jump Magazine-related news, Kaguya-sama ended recently, but, you know, Akakasuke is obviously still doing, like, Oshinoko and stuff. But they recently announced that he's going to stop working as a manga artist. He's going to focus solely on writing. Uh, He used the word Gensaga, which meant, like, original works, but in the context of manga production, denotes specifically the task of writing a manga manga as opposed to drawing it so you know he intends kagusama to be the last manga that he's going to draw himself he's still going to like write manga write stories which yeah he's still doing oshinoko which you know is being drawn by mango yokari and he's done other manga where he's just done one part of the production process like he drew and someone else wrote it so but it seems like right now he's like okay i'm done drawing manga i'm just gonna focus on writing manga I hope that gives him a little less to have to worry about when it comes to uh, manga production then. Yeah, I think that he is probably enjoying being able to write a manga in the case of Yoshinoko. Because, you know, drawing manga is uh, exhausting. So if you're having success also writing it and you're enjoying that part of it more than the drawing of it, then yeah, I mean, uh, if he's still passionate about continuing to create even more stories after Yoshinoko, then definitely, you know, I'm glad to see that he has found like, oh, well, this is what I want to focus on going forward. And uh, that's what I've decided. So, yeah, good on him. In terms of uh, new serialization stuff going back and continuing on the jump train of thought, there's been new stuff that's been coming out from Shonen Jump, Weekly Shonen Jump itself. There have been a lot of big new titles that have come out recently that we are going to spend more time talking on our Simulpubs episode later this month but just to recap kind of the titles that have come out we've got a new series from Tyson 5 of Takopi's Original Sin called the Ichinose Family's Deadly Sin so another series that is about cute characters uh, that have a dark twist We've got a new series from Nizio Izin as the writer with art by Yuji Iwasaki called Cypher Academy, which is a series about a boy at an all-girls, like, code-breaking school who's given, like, special glasses by another student to, like, go help them in finding, like, the school's secret mine of, like, cryptocurrency and whatnot. Uh, and then the most recent series to come out at the time of the recording is Ichigoki's Under Control, which is the latest series by Seiji Hayashi of I'm From Japan fame, which is about 
a guy who gets turned into a cyborg by his childhood friend who is a mod scientist who is now piloting him like a mech. And <laughs> yeah, it's a very eclectic serialization and an eclectic bunch of new series that has come out so far. And uh, we're not done because there's also another new title that is yet to come out. Probably be out by the time that you are listening to this podcast and that's Jinzo Ningen 100 and that is by Enoshima Daisuke. I don't know too much about this because it's not been out yet, but they're like kind of the newest author, or at least they're the author that, you know, whose work you haven't already probably seen around before uh, in an official capacity. So I am very, very curious to see what their stories, uh, that series is all about. And yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting serialization around very interesting batch of new series. So we're going to have a, a lot of fun talking about it, I think. Mm-hmm. I have not read any of these yet. I've heard like a bit, I've, I've tried to kind of like stay away from these until like we get around to our Sabo Pubs episode. So I, I know about them very vaguely. I am really interested in the newest series from ties on five because i've always heard really good things about takopi and i i really hope we can like maybe cover that at some point because i I really want to check that out yeah i mean look i enjoy takopi's original sin is like an intense dark series uh, and i i enjoyed it even though it's a really rough read i think ichinose family's deadly sins probably won't get as dark as takopi from how it's developed so far but it's still a pretty dark series that is also like psychologically intense and keeps you guessing so yeah it's it's gonna be you know i'm interested in seeing your reactions to it since you haven't read any of takapi and i don't know like how has haven't experienced like tyson's style of writing see see here, here here's the thing i love i i know this isn't a lot of people's cup of tea but i really really love like depressing challenging things like look I'm a huge fan of BoJack Horseman, so like I, I feel like I'm ready for most things. Or maybe this will, maybe this will be even more challenging. I don't know, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to like check out all of these though. Yeah, I think that they've all been a lot of fun so far. Very interesting. So yeah, I am definitely pretty excited for this round and excited to talk about them. Mm-hmm. So now we're going to move on into some licensing and simul updates. So before we get into our licensing list, because there were a lot of licensing announcements, so we need to come up with some lists to kind of trim it down to a reasonable collection of titles to spotlight. But before we get to that, there are a few straight things we wanted to mention. First is that our good friends of Starfleet Books announced that they are going to be launching a Kickstarter early in January to fund a print run of Lost Elisa the Wise Princess and our classic folk tales. And a portion of each copy sold is going to be donated to those who need in Ukraine. So it'll also be going to good charity causes to help people uh, in crisis in Ukraine. So that's really great. And yeah, I mean, I love Lost Lisa. If you remember or saw the Best of Manga panel that I was on at San Diego Comic-Con, I spotlighted as like the best uh, new title for kids and teens. I really, really enjoy that series. So I'm definitely excited to help fund a print edition of it and pick that up because it's such a delightful read, which is fantastic art. We'll definitely be linking that when that starts up. Absolutely. And then we've got a bunch of announcements for, you know, new additions to apps. So Bookwalker Global has launched a new vertical scrolling like webcomic brand called Tot-esque Comics. 
It's basically like it's pronounced Tatesk and it stands for Tate vertical and SC as scrolling. And uh, basically this new brand, this new imprint of vertical comics, uh, it basically has like a bunch of different Katakawa titles on there. So like Bungo, Stray Dogs, Interspiracies for Viewers and Devil is a Part-Timer. And basically you can read them vertically like on Bookwalker on the app or the website. And you can read the first five chapters of each of the 24 series that they have up available right now for free, though there are region restrictions uh, for each. And yeah, this brand is also going to include original titles as well as like traditional manga and adaptations of light novels. So there will also be like some titles in full color, some will be in black and white, some are being colorized and reformatted for vertical scrolling format and others are created you know as vertical scrolling manga from the onset so there are going to be like titles from three different publishers in sparts brand like katakawa themselves the press is contributing and then katakawa game packed stars is contributing and then the series are going to be available to purchase on a la carte basis. Readers can purchase individual chapters, and it's not going to be a part of like a subscription service. So you basically purchase these chapters like uh, individually, and this is like kind of a part of a major refresh they're doing for Bookwalker to make it more browsable and user friendly. So there really seems to be like a movement, like because we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. Comic Key is also kind of doing this experiment of like adapting manga into vertical scrolling web comic form. Format. They announced that they're doing it with Tank You Isekai and some of their other titles. So yeah, I guess like there's this movement now to like, oh, like vertical scrolling webcomics are very popular. So we're going to reformat manga titles to be read that way, like existing manga titles. So, you know, Kataka was doing that with Bookwalker and then Kamaki is doing that with some of their titles. It's, it's an interesting trend movement that we're seeing start up. Now, Oski has added some new titles, including Blitz, which is a French-Japanese, like, chess manga that's been available since early November. And, yeah, I, you know... I was a chess player for a long time in high school, and it's basically Hikaru no Go, but with Gary Kasparov instead of Sai, <laughs> and I think that's a funny idea. So, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to check this out. They also added the Webtoon Zombie Makeout Club, which is published by Blaze as well. And they recently announced at Anime NYC, they have a new exclusive manga slash simul called Natsume and Natsume by Shinsuke Serato, who is best known for the girl with the Sampaku eyes. And this is basically like a gender-bent version of Girl with Sampaku eyes. It is about like a high school dude named Natsume who has like the face of a villain, but he wants to be like a hero like his childhood friend who is like kind brave and beautiful who is also named Natsume and he wants to be her hero but is he always going to be the one rescued and basically yeah it's just another story about the problem with a guy who is like resting with face and like cannot you know be seen as like a friendly dude because his face is so mean so yeah I mean that sounds like a very cute series and I am very keen to read it when it launches on Oski and will surely spotlight it and our son will put around out as well and finally, before we get into our license list, we'll just mention the Comic-Key made a ton of announcements at their Anime NYC panel. 
We won't get into them all here, but they basically added a couple new titles like Dope Man. On her 94th reincarnation, the villainess became the heroine and a side character's love story. The latter one of which I'll just spotlight is like, oh, that is a title that I know a lot of people are excited for. I was talking with Matt from Starfruit after the panel. He was like, oh, he was super excited for that because that's been one of his favorite manga for a very long time. So that's one to keep an eye out for. But uh, they're also adding a bunch of Shoeisha titles like Double the Trouble Choice Nice, Second Time is the Crime, Betrayed Husband's Blues, On a Cold Bed, and Pocha Meshi, Stuff Your Cheeks with Love. In addition to all that, like I mentioned before, they are converting some of their manga titles to webtoon format, like Thank You Isekai, and they've also partnered with a lot of different publishers to add new titles, new webtoon titles, like they partnered with Studio Moon 6 to add 10 new titles, and various other Korean publishers that like 43 new titles to their catalog. Some will be exclusive to the Campic Keys, and that includes like 10 series from CNC Revolution, 9 from Story Soup, 5 from Mr. Blue, and 9 from Wuwa Brothers, and they also added like Street Titles from Common Manwa, which is man starting today, World's Biggest Superstar of Eleven Master. And on top of all that, they announced that they have licensed more than a hundred titles from Square Enix. Woof. They did not list what those titles are, though they have like their like kind of blurred out mosaic that you can kind of pick apart like what some of those titles might be. They did mention that some of these titles are going to be kind of the same titles that are on Manga Up, but the plus side will be that they will not be censored at all. Good. They'll never be censored. So <laughs> I think Kamaki will probably be the preferred way to read those titles. So yeah, I mean, Kamaki, a huge, huge additions to the catalog. A lot of new titles titles they are adding to their service so yeah they are certainly growing quite a bit here as an app and as a publisher and yeah that basically does it for like catching up with a you know new app related updates or stray like kind of licensing announcements so now we can go into our licensing lists and colton would you like to start off with your run now uh yeah i can do that i mean i just want to say right off the bat I'm pretty sure I, if I counted correctly, I think we had about 40 individual licenses, maybe even more, actually. But I'm pretty sure we had at least 40 that have been announced since the last news episode we recorded. And so, yeah, we, we definitely needed to just kind of stick to highlights this time around. I think that probably would actually take like another hour and a half if we wanted to do all of those. Um, mm-hmm. But yes, uh, I think I have about 10, maybe a little less than that. I really went through these and I, I think I found like a good few licenses that I really wanted to highlight personally. I'll start off with a big one. I'm going to get into some 7C stuff. Surprisingly enough, 7Cs out of all the publishers that have announced licenses in the past month did not have the biggest tidal wave. We will get to them. Yeah, it was just a small wave. It's just a little splash on the beach of licensing. It was basically like a like, like a bucket of water, you know, not not too much. It was like a little puddle. But yeah, they still came out with like a few good titles I really wanted to highlight. The biggest one, I think, and this is a title that I really want to give a shout out to the Manga Machinations podcast, because this is a title that comes up fairly often on their show. And I'm sure now that this has been announced, they'll probably do like a retrospective on it eventually. But yes, I am talking about Hideo Yamamoto's homunculus manga, uh, which will be coming out in omnibus format, basically two in ones, or at least two volumes worth of material. Uh, The first omnibus will be coming out on June 2023, in which our protagonist, Nakoshi Susumu, age 34, is living out of his car. Between spending his days with the homeless and the nights in his vehicle, he has little to his name, but not so little that he'll agree to be the subject of a scientific experiment. 
an unnerving medical student is stalking him and offering to pay Nakoshi a significant sum to test trepanation. The ability to draw out a sixth sense by drilling into the skull, Nakashi obviously refuses, but when Nakashi's beloved car is towed though, he finally agrees to cash and the operating table. At first, the experiment seems to bear no fruit and Nakoshi's life is unchanged, that is, until Nakoshi realizes his vision is warped in his left eye, showing him the twisted homunculus inside every human. And so yeah, like I said, this was a title that I constantly heard about listening to the Maga Machinations podcast. I've heard so many good things from them and they've seen to always talk it up. So when I saw that Seven Seas announced this, I was just like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really happy for the Manga Mac crew. <laughs> and, you know, now that I have a better idea, like what it's about, I'm, uh, I'm really interested in checking it out. And yeah, it, it just looks like it could be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Homunculus is a series that uh, I've known for a long time, and I've always been meaning to check it out. So I'm glad to see it's officially licensed. And yeah, definitely keen to read it. Next up from Seven Seas, I want to mention Cat on the Hero's Lap, which is a manga by Kosuke Ijiba and Shiori that'll be coming out in digitally and in print on November 2023, in which our hero Leto and his companions have a mission, and that is to defeat the Demon Lord once and for all. Aina is a formidable fighter, taking down foes with only her fists and feet. Grace the Wizard harnesses powerful magic to blast away enemies in their path. Meanwhile, Leto faces an unexpected challenge in their quest. A big, fluffy cat has taken a liking to him, following the party wherever they go and jumping in the Leto's lap whenever it's free, even in the heat of battle. Everyone knows you can't just dump a cat off your lap in good conscience. If Leto pushes the sweet kitty away while it's happily making biscuits, will he be any better than the monsters he's trying to fight? A sword and sorcery story for fans of cats and comedy. So, yeah, this is a, obviously a very, like, JRPG kind of thing with the twist of, like, oh, now they have to deal with a cute little kitty cat getting in the way of all their JRPG adventures. And, you know, one, one day we will have to do, like, a, like a selection of cat manga for the podcast, and I can't promise that this might not be a part of it, because, uh, yeah, it just sounds really cute and I want to check it out. Definitely a cat manga episode is in our future, because there are so many of them. We could do multiple cat manga episodes if we wanted to. Mm-hmm. We could have nine lives and still not get through the cat manga there are out there. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, this just sounded really cute, and uh, I can't wait to check it out eventually. That's really about what I want to talk about from Seven Seas. Uh, next, I'm going to move on to J Novel Club, and they also announced some pretty cool things. First up, I'm going to talk about the Grand Sumo Villainous Light Novel series by, uh, oh, boy, Kawasu... Kawasutan and Yuichi Murakami. I hope I pronounced their names right. Oh boy, and we got even more names here. When Flor to Flort J, when our main character is re- uh, reincarnated into the world of an Otome game, things immediately go wrong, as they always do. Her fiance breaks off their engagement, and the supposed protagonist makes them out to be the villainous. Little do they know, however, that they were a sumo wrestler in her past life, and she won't let these weaklings stand in her way. With the spirit of sumo, her most trustworthy ally, to guide her, she's ready for a smackdown. But why was she reincarnated into an Otome game? And how did its protagonist turn evil in the first place? And so, yeah, I'm already kind of interested in, like, the sort of villainous sub-genre of Isekai. But I really like the twist that it's like, oh, our main character used to be a sumo wrestler. Uh, that That's a fun little gimmick. I can get behind that. And, yeah, it just, it just sounded really fun. I would really like to check this out. 
It should be noted that everything that Jane Novel Club announced recently, uh, the first chapters are already available on their service, so you can already read a little bit of this, which is pretty cool. As well as our next series with Karate Master Isekai, this being a manga done by DP, in which after losing a fight with a runaway truck, a karateka is transmigrated to another world, one full of swords and sorcery straight out of fantasy books. The goddess who sent him there offers him a superpower cheat skill to assist him in his upcoming heroics, but naturally, he turns her down. After all, he already possesses the only technique he needs, and that is karate. No matter what manner of otherworldly foe he may face, be they a minotaur, a gigantic steel-clad knight, or a wicked sorcerer, none of them will discourage him from walking his own path in the way of the empty hand. So yeah, I really like the idea of this guy who is really good at karate. Like I said in the synopsis, being offered really cool like cheat skill powers and him just being like, no, I'm going to trust my own karate. That's that's intensely badass and I can really get behind that. This sounds like the kind of thing where it's like, oh, guys, isekai into another world. I feel like this is going to be kind of sort of a one punch man thing where it's like, oh, he's probably going to spend a lot of time like no selling literally everything he comes in contact with, maybe. And I can get behind that premise. I think this this sounds like it'd be really badass and funny. And then I guess uh, so we're going to move on to Yen Press and Yen Press uh, licensed the most out of any publisher. <laughs> in the past month, and no surprise that most of my picks come from them. And yeah, out of everything, I think these were the ones that like I was the most interested in. The first thing I'm going to start off with is A Reincarnated Witch Spells Doom, written by Tail Yuzuhara and illustrated by Sora, in which on her 18th birthday, shut-in Sena Shirai gathers her resolve and steps out into the world for the first time in a long while, only to be hit by a truck. Because, you know, what else would happen? Reborn as a witch in another world, she is able to master only two spells, those being explosion and destruction. With the nearby villagers fearful of her powers, she resigns herself to an isolated life once more. That is, until a mysterious boy collapses on her doorstep. So, I'd say a pretty typical like, isekai premise, but like, I'm kind of a sucker for like shut-in type characters. I don't know what it is. I, I think I I'm a sucker for characters who like originally like kind of feel isolated, but then maybe kind of like come out of their shell. And I think those types of characters usually come out with like the most like compelling character arcs for me. It somehow speaks to me. I don't know. I've, I've never, I was never shut in myself, but sometimes I do have trouble coming out of my shell, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but no, th this sounds like it could be pretty interesting and um, I'd like to check it out. And then next up, I want to talk about Magical Girl Incident by Zero Akabane, in which, as a little boy, Sakura Hiromi once dreamed he could be a hero. Now he's simply your everyday office worker, toiling away for his company. Though he longs for his childhood dream, it seems so far out of reach, until he decides to step up and save a child one faithful day. Suddenly, fantasies become reality as Hiromi finds himself transformed into a magical girl? So I think this looks like the kind of thing that, like, I think could be pretty emotionally compelling. I somehow really liked the cover for the first volume of this. I don't know what it is, I think. It was just something very eye-grabbing about it for me personally. Um, I'm assuming this is going to be something where, like, again, you have this typical office worker guy, and I guess he's going to transform into, like, like, a magical girl, not in the same way that, um, oh, what was that one series? Um... Magical Girl Ore or whatever, or it was like, yeah, he, he was a guy, but he turned into like a magical girl while he was still like a guy, I think. I don't know if it's going to be something like that, or if he's going to like actually turn into a woman or something like that's what I'm assuming this will be. But either way, like, I think this could be pretty interesting. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it definitely caught my eye. And I think the cover art looks very striking. 
Yeah, I could play with you in an interesting way, but also it could just be an interesting story about a guy kind of finding a new path in life that is surprising, but ends up being magically healing. Mm-hmm. I'd assume so. Uh, next up, I will talk about Manner of Death, written by Yukari Umemoto and illustrated by Samon, in which uh, when the skilled coroner Dr. Bunakits is called to examine the body of his childhood friend after her quote-unquote suicide, he soon determines that she was actually murdered. That night, a mysterious stranger threatens him, telling him to rule her death as a suicide, and after he confides in his prosecutor friend about this incident, that friend suddenly goes missing. But all hope is not lost as a young lecturer named Tan offers to help him get to the bottom of all this, which would be more reassuring if Tan weren't the prime suspect. Big twist. So... Yeah, this sounds like, I mean, I'm kind of a sucker for like, you know, the murder mystery type stuff. But um, yeah, this this sounds like the kind of thing that like could be really, really engaging. You know, the whole thing where it's like, oh, the person that's helping you is probably actually against you. It's probably the one who caused the murder. This sounds like it could be pretty exciting. And I definitely want to check this out eventually. And then uh, the last thing I'll mention from Yen Press is Me and My Beast Boss by Shiro Inu, in which we're in a world where beast folk are thought to be superior to humans. Human office worker Saki Oki struggles to remain afloat in a company where she is belittled and tormented by her beast folk colleagues and superiors. And so when she is called into the CEO's office, she is prepared for the worst, but instead of firing Saki, he acknowledges her for her hard work and makes her his private secretary. She's delighted by his praise, but could that really be the only reason her heart is racing so fast? And um, the cover for this, for me, was really striking because it's like, oh, you have this, like, office lady worker and she's being pet by a huge, big old huge beast paw. And I'm just thinking, like, man, are we going to get into, like... (sighs) I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, like the tone of this will be, but my immediate thought was like, oh, is this going to be like like a monster fucker kind of thing? Like, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, hopefully it'll be a bit more like lighthearted. Not that there would be anything wrong with that kind of thing. It's just I'm not sure if it's really my thing personally, but I'm, I'm hoping for something a bit more like sweet, a bit more down to earth slice of life, just something a bit more cute. But I don't know. We'll have to see. And then uh, the last thing I will mention is from Dark Horse. And, you know, Dark Horse announced like a few interesting things, but this is like the biggest thing they announced because this is a series that I've been kind of familiar with. I have interacted with people who have, uh, let's just say, worked on this unofficially, quote unquote, and that is Innocent by Sakamoto. And uh, this is a manga that Dark Horse will be publishing in three and one omnibus volumes, starting with the first volume on November 22nd, 2023. And so I actually didn't know about this. So Innocent by Sakamoto actually launched in 2013 in Weekly Young Jump, and then I guess ended in Weekly Young Jump and got moved to Grand Jump in 2015 under the name of Innocent Rouge. So I'm not entirely sure if Innocent is like supposed to be its own thing with Rouge being the sequel, or if it's one of those things where it's like, say, for example, like, oh, Bloodlicate battlefront ended but it's going to come back again under a new name like i don't know if it's something like that but someone else who knows innocent a little better can let me know maybe but yeah i just thought that was interesting so i guess the original innocent is about nine volumes long so with this being like a three one omnibus thing it'll basically be collected in like three volumes so yeah i guess just to talk about what it's about so the story takes place during the french revolution telling the story of quote-unquote another protagonist of the time Charles Henry is the fourth generation head of the Sanson family of executioners living in Paris. And that's kind of all the copy says. But, um, you know, again, I've been kind of familiar with this sort of on and off. Like I had seen people like talk about it online and post art from it, which the art for this is 
honestly really amazing. Like the art for this, I would kind of put up there in the same category as like basically anything drawn by Kentaro Miura. Like it's just like so heavily detailed and rendered, like just so lovingly drawn that like, you know, I I'll be honest, I kind of like vaguely knew what the story was about and I kind of knew what time period it was set in. But like the art was really like the most eye catching thing about this and has been something that I've kind of been like vaguely interested in reading. And this was another series that like when this got picked up, I saw a lot of people go, oh, holy shit, like, they picked this up. Like, uh, this was just something that I guess people assumed would never get picked up. But uh, I think it makes sense that Dark Horse would license something like this. I feel like this is kind of in their wheelhouse. But uh, yeah, I'm happy that, again, like with Homunculus, this is going to be another thing that I'll finally be able to read officially. Yeah, I mean... The art does look beautiful. I mean, the cover art, the illustration, it reminds me a little bit of Yoshi Takaamano's style of character designs. It is a uh, very painterly, portraitly realistic, and uh, it's very striking. So, yeah, I mean, I again, this was a big title that, like, when it was announced in the Dark Horse panel, like, and we got wind of it, it was like, oh, crap, Dark Horse not only made an announcement, actually, at their panel, they made a big announcement. This is a big series that people are really excited for. So, yeah, I'm definitely keen to check it out because yeah it sounds like it's very reputable and, and looks very beautiful oh for sure i i definitely can't wait to check this out but that's really about it for my licenses uh lum i know you probably have some licenses to talk about as well i did especially since i was in the kind of center of where all the bit licenses and licensing news came out in anime nyc and you know there were so many but honestly, I think that it ended up being, when I was going through, that one publisher really did kind of run away with, like, all the big licensing announcements that really caught my eye and appealed to me. And they really did deliver on their promise of saying, oh, they're going to have a new license to announce every two minutes at their panel. And boy, <laughs> did they deliver on that promise. And that was Kadansha. Kadansha made so many really incredible licensing announcements at their panel that my list is pretty much all theirs and <laughs> we'll run through them right now so starting off you know if you're a fan of boichi's work and want to read another manga by him in print well kancha has got you covered because they are publishing his series origin and this series is set in tokyo in 2048 it's about japan now connected to the entire northern hemisphere by eurasian railroad and all matter crime and vice pour into the metropolis at its eastern terminus but little do the people know that inhuman beings live among us however robots with high level ai who will kill their survive and only one man quote unquote can stop them their prototype origin so it's a little bit of a blade runnery premise you know we have all these kind of like robot ai people who are like kind of refugees from kind of the law and order society and then there's like kind of someone who is tracking them down and taking them out and of course you have this premise with boichi's like super detailed realistic artwork also, in the panel, they compared it to be a little bit like Battle Angel Alita. And yeah, the action sequences they showed of it, like, look incredibly dynamic. But they also say, even though, like, you know, the premise might indicate that, oh, this might be more of a, a serious type of cyberpunk, apparently it's actually very hilarious, too. So you get a sense of humor in Boichi's writing and art as well. So yeah, I mean, I'm definitely very keen to check out another work by Boichi, especially a cyberpunk battle manga type work. 
work. It sounds really, really interesting. I mean, you had me at Boichi, honestly. <laughs> mm-hmm. Boichi is our boy. Next, we've got Virgin Love, which is a new Jose series that was described to be kind of like Terrace House meets Princess Jellyfish. It comes to us by Tima Yamashina, and the premise of this is that looking for love but afraid to never find it, come live at the Love House. Six strangers, one house, one shared gold love. What could go wrong? So basically, it's about a group of six people who all come to find love, like, at this, like, shared house. It's kind of like a game slash arranged dating kind of thing. And yeah, do they actually find love this way? Are there going to be complications? Who knows? But I think that the cover art is like very beautifully colored and illustrated. And I'm very interested in the premise. And yeah, but especially describing it to be like Princess Jellyfish, uh, Kiko Okashimura style of storytelling humor that definitely sounds Sounds really up my alley. Now, next is a title that has won accolades already in Japan, and so it's one of the bigger titles they announced, and that's The Darwin Incident by Shun Umezawa. It's about a half-human, half-chimpanzee hybrid known as a human Z named Charlie. And he was raised by human parents, but now 15 and starting high school, he meets a girl who becomes his first ever friend, but his normal life is shattered when animal rights extremists who freed his mother from a laugh 15 years ago reemerge as terrorists bent on kidnapping him at all costs. So it's about Charlie trying to, you know, kind of live among human beings, but then in danger of being kidnapped by animal rights groups. It's been described as like kind of like 12 monkeys meets Planet of the Apes, but also switched around with the main character being a monkey in a world of humans. I've heard a lot of good things about this one for a long time. Uh, It has won awards over in Japan already. And yeah, I am definitely very curious because it sounds like a, a very fun premise. And yeah, it won the 15th Manga Tai Show Award as well as the Excellence Award at the 25th Japan Media Arts Festival. So yeah, it's a it's a fairly fairly big series, a fairly like reputed series. It sounds like it could be fun. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun, and I, I like Charlie's design. I like that he seems to be like hanging off the Statue of Liberty or like outside of New York. Uh, it's like a very striking cover that they've got. So yeah, looking forward to this one. I know it's like an easy joke, but I, I do also like the detail that he's named Charlie because you know Ch- Charles Darwin is is pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Next, we got some new queer titles that I'm excited for. We got The Moon on a Rainy Night by Kuzushiro. This is a new Yuri high school romance series that also deals with disability, hearing disability. It was described as like a cross between, you know, fans of Lumen to You and It's Me a Love Song, but also has a little silent voicey vibes. And basically, the series is about, you know, a piano playing girl named Saki. She runs into a stranger on the street one day when she's trying to get to her piano lesson and the stranger puts up her shade music and hands it to her along beside a band-aid and continues on her way and so she's like left wondering about who's this tall lovely stranger and then discovers next day like she's one of her classmates and she finds out the girl is actually hearing impaired but has refused any getting any support or social treatment from her teachers and classmates and so over the course of a year the girls slowly grow closer to one another and you know the pre-anything girl Saki she manages to start to chip away at the other girl Kenan's cold exterior 
And yeah, it just sounds like a charming, eerie romance about, you know, two girls learning to kind of break down each other's walls and communicate to form a really deep bond connection with each other. Uh, even with the barrier of, you know, hearing or lack of hearing in the way. And yeah, I, I think that sounds really sweet and really interesting. Next, we got titles that got me really excited because I, I really love this author and the series that, that is being continued to be published by Kodansha here. And I'll start with that because there are two new books by Nagasa Furia that Kodansha USA is publishing. And one of those is the third book in the Summer of You series, The Summer with You, the sequel. And it is going to, you know, continue the story of Wataru and Chiharu now following them in their second year of college, waiting, excited to spend another summer together. Chiharu is excited to see his boyfriend for the first time in two months, and Wataru is thankful they're going to have more time to spend with each other without having to balance work and school. And they plan to return to the cinema for a movie date to celebrate their 20th birthday. But what other memories does the summer going to have in store for them? I just really love this story about like two friends who fall in love with each other and their special bond is going to the movies and watching things together. It's a very sweet series. It was one of my favorites to read uh, last year. I highlighted it in the Best of Bunk panel, so I'm very much excited for the third volume. And I'm also excited for the other book of Furia's that they're publishing, My Ultra Marine Sky, which is another boy's love about two friends who have always been in the same class but are separated in the new school year. And they realize after being separated that their feelings for each other might run deeper than friendship because they've always spent time with each other, but now that they're separate, they feel like they're slipping further and further away from each other, and they kind of start becoming afraid of kind of losing each other, being pushed apart from each other. So one day, you know, when one of the boys finds the other sleeping in a classroom at the school, he whispers his feelings, he couldn't bring himself to see aloud, and that other boy hears him. And so will that confession push them further and further apart, or is will it be the spark that brings them back together? And that sounds like another story that I can very much connect to and also sounds very sweet about like a connection about these two people who've meant so much to each other who are like worried about going far apart even though they want to be close to each other so yeah another title by Nice Sofia that I'm very very excited for but it's not the only BL manga that I'm excited for from Kodansha because they also have a title from Kara Mia called Super Morning Star which is about a guy who dresses up uh, as the star of a Sentai superhero live show, uh, even though like at school he's like a scary delinquent type. But then his classmate, who's a Sentai super fan, discovers his secret, and he's embarrassed by that, so he will stop at nothing to make sure the secret doesn't get out. But despite himself, he ends up falling for his biggest fan. And that sounds like a very cute premise. And, you know, I, it has been described as perfect for fans of, like, Hitoro Jimmy, my hero, but also, like, love after world domination. So, yeah, it, it sounds very cute. Just, you know, the Sentai show star ends up falling in love with one of his fans. Mm -hmm. Sentai romance is kind of becoming, like, one of my favorite ideas for, like, a genre, almost. Absolutely. I mean, there are other great romance titles as well that Kadensha has licensed. Um, for the more horny side of the 
them. We've got Ogami-san Can't Keep It In by Yu Yoshida Maru, which is another series that kind of explores, like, characters kind of grappling with puberty feelings, kind of like sex ed, 120% or old maidens in your Sabbath season. And this series is about a girl who has just her mind full of perverted fantasies and she tries to keep like kind of her wild mental side like kind of under wraps like try and like net it <laughs> leak out but then when she like reaches a hand out literally to a her classmate Yaginuma, who is like a cute and mysterious boy in a class, like her innermost thoughts just come spilling out. Like she just spills her guts about all her dirty thoughts. And uh, she wants to get to know him and his body better, but she can't do that without the risk of exposing her true self. So she's in a real bind here because apparently like touching this guy, this guy has the kind of ability knack to like make people tell their true feelings or honest feelings when they like touch his hand. So like whenever she touches him, she can't help but like let out what she's really thinking so she can keep her horny side under wraps and calm down so that sounds like a very fun premise for shenanigans like this this like kind of really hot and bothered girl this <laughs> who has to try and control herself uh, and try and avoid touching like this really cool unflustered dude and yeah I think that sounds really fun then we've also got another nice rom-com that's kind of more like a wistful, reflective, kind of described as also very similar or perfect for fans of like Wodokoi because it's a series called My Lovesick Life is a 90s Akako. It's by Nico Nicholson and it's about a woman who, you know, is reflecting on her first love back in the mid 90s when she was like a huge anime and manga taku. And she had just transferred to a new school and is going to start fresh by hiding her taku interests. But then she gets taken under the wing of the basketball ace at the school who has a kind heart. And he also looks like one of her favorite characters. But, you know, even though she, you know, crushes on him, she ends up being crushed to learn that he hates otaku. So what's the girl to do? This otaku girl falls in love with this cute guy who looks like one of her favorite characters, but hates otakus. And yeah, that sounds like a cute premise. I like the cover art for it. And yeah, I mean, I really got into Wodokoi a lot recently, so I'm definitely keen for another series with that vibe of like kind of romantic, comedy romantic drama involving kind of like nerd individuals like trying to navigate relationships and then I think the last Kadansha title I want to spotlight is Witch Hat Atelier Kitchen, the spin-off to Witch Hat Atelier, the cooking spin-off that focuses on Kifre and Orugio basically having downtime themselves when they put the, their pupils to bed and they just kind of cook for each other, eat and chat about the days and stuff. And if you wanted something that's more like, what did you eat yesterday? But starring Kifre and Orugio, like, this is for you. And, you know, it uh, comes to us from Hiromi Satu with input, of course, some of the original creators, Kamomi Shirahama. And yeah, like, I, this is one that I've been expecting would be licensed for a long time because of how popular Witch Atelier is, and I'm glad it's finally coming out because, you know, I'm always uh, a fan of cooking manga, especially fantasy cooking manga is a lot of fun, and this has been described to be pretty similar to something like Delicious in Dungeon, and of course it's starring characters that I really enjoy, and as a spin-off to a series really enjoy so very much looking forward to it
And yeah, so again, Katantra ran away with like a lot of the licenses that I was really interested in. But I did have two titles from Yen Press I wanted to spotlight as ones that I also am really interested in, that also caught my eye. The first of these is The Essence of Being Amused by Aya Fumino, which is about a girl who feels a lot of emptiness because, you know, she was rejected from art school. Everything special about her, she feels has died and she feels like no choice but to go be ordinary, do the job that her mom decided on, wearing the clothes that she picks for me and like basically following what her mom's life path is and what she thinks will make her happy and she can boast about and just trapped in the cycle of what if and too bad and regrets all the while. So, I mean, the description sounds like it's just a story about this character who feels really dejected about, you know, her dreams not coming true and feeling aimless in her life and feeling like she doesn't know what her path is or be able to make that path for herself. She's kind of just following things along. And yeah, I mean, that definitely speaks to me and some of my life experiences very well. And yeah, I, I could definitely find the premise of it. Obviously, any story that's like kind of about an artist finding their way is always going to appeal and intrigue me. So and especially like the cover art looks very striking with like her trying her canvas and her suitcase in the background, just like crying out. And yeah, I'm, I'm very curious about this one and uh, interested in checking out and seeing where this character's story goes uh, based on this premise. And the other title that I want to spotlight from Yen is Scribbles by Kaoru Mori, because I love Kaoru Mori, and I'm excited for this cool art book, this collection of sketches from her that is just full of, like, illustrations she did for practice and elocution, and has just uh, commentaries on every page, and just explores kind of her work and artistic process philosophy. So, you know, Kaoru Mori's art and character designs are just fantastic and I'm just uh, excited to get kind of a cool new art book from her that just shows off her sketches and like how she approaches drawing. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this as a Kaori fan and I'm very excited for all of these licenses and even more that I did not uh, have time to spotlight and mention because there were so many really interesting titles that got announced in the past month and over anime and NYC weekend in particular and there's just a lot to look forward to. So yeah, it's uh uh, looking to be like a really, really good year next year for new manga. And that does it for our licensing roundups. And now we have some industry news to get into. We talked a lot about Yen Press and we talked a little bit about J Novel Club. And the two publishers are actually going to be working with each other. They're entering a partnership. J Novel Club is going to partner with Yen Press to publish print editions of some of their digital titles. Yen Press is going to produce and distribute physical editions of some of uh, their light novel manga series under a newly created J Novel Club imprint that they'll have. And so the first titles that, you know, Yen will be releasing with J Novel as part of this partnership include Hell Mode, Misfit of the Demon King Academy, My Instant Dead Ability is So Overpowered, No One in This Other World Stands a Chance Against Me, and My Instant Dead Ability is So Overpowered. Oh, this is like the same, it's the same thing but the manga version of it. Or I think it's like the even the sequel, like it has an A and then an Omega sign. Maybe there's like two different versions of my instant dead ability is overpowered. But regardless, yeah, these titles are going to be like the first new titles that are going to be published by Yen Press for J Novel Club uh, in print. So yeah, I think that's cool that J Novel Club is like 
you know, Jane Hamilton mostly focuses on like digital publishing. So it's good that they are now like going to start releasing some of their titles in print. And um, they are going to be partnering with Yen to help do that. So, I mean, I mean, Jane Novel does release print editions of like their titles too. But, you know, now with Yen Press and like with their distribution arms and connections, like they can release even more titles together. And mainly Katakawa titles, I would imagine too. So, yeah. And there are there's a lot of other like kind of industry like uh, partnership type news to talk about. For instance, uh, Viz has partnered with boutique licensing agency in Europe to lead its consumer products business expansion internationally. So basically, a boutique licensing agency is going to work with Viz for you know a strategic plan to sign and manage their licenses, their merchandise, experience promotions, and retail partnerships and collaborations across Europe. They're going to do that on behalf of Viz. So, yeah. I mean, Viz has like a new basically kind of marketing supporting distributor to help them out for kind of their European promotions and distribution stuff. And yeah, so that's not the only like big acquisition thing or partnership thing because also... This is not necessarily two publishers working together, but like a big publisher has bought like uh, another big outlet, and that's like uh, Katakawa has acquired Anime News Network. Basically, Katakawa has purchased like the internet's most trusted anime stores that for a long time has been independent, but now Katakawa owns Anime News Network as they own Bookwalker, Yen Press, and J Novel Club. I mean, according to representatives at Anime News Network, like Christopher McDonald and on the ANN after show, Lindsay and James talked about it a little bit, like ANN is going to remain journalistically, editorially independent from Katakawa, but they basically get like financial resources from them and undoubtedly we'll be seeing a lot more promotions of Katakawa titles of Yen Present J Novel stuff on ANN and their coverage. Like if you looked at like their reporting for anime NYC, there's like this blurb of like saying, oh, this article was sponsored by like Yen Press or whatever. So you'll probably see stuff like that happening. But basically, it seems like Hataka really made a big move here in trying to acquire ANN as like kind of like the premier like anime news source. So like now they have an outlet probably to, you know, publish their press releases and all their promotional things. But ANN in return basically has kind of a big backer in terms of providing them financial support and stuff. So yeah, I don't, it remains to be seen like the impact this will have on anime news network going forward in terms of like whether it will compromise their editorial or journalistic in any way. I, I choose to believe in Chris O'Donnell and Lizzie Rutledge that their editorial independence is contractually guaranteed and you know will not be affected by their advertisers or investors as they haven't before and they will not under Katakawa and there are really going to be any immediate changes to ANN's team and how ANN is like operated the main thing is that Katakawa is going to be investing in ANN software development their resources are going to be used to launch new projects that they've been trying to do for a long time that they're now going to prioritize so yeah I, I don't know 
I guess, yeah, we'll just see how this affects things long term. But I, I choose to trust and believe in the editorial department over at Anon. But it also does feel kind of wrong or kind of odd to me that Katakawa now owns Anon because it's like Anon was for a long, like the independent anime news source, anime outlet. And it's like, well, now they're owned by like this bigger company. Mm, yeah, this this makes me. We're just going to wait and see what comes of this, but uh, I'm going to keep my eye out on this, personally. Yeah. Well, in terms of, like, partnerships or acquisitions that have not gone through, well, we had a big one that was blocked recently, and that is that Penguin Random House's acquisition of Simon & Schuster, basically the merger of two of the biggest publishers in the market, was blocked by a federal judge. Thank God. The fledged Florence Y. Pants said the companies were enjoined and restrained from consummating the proposed merger because the merger may substantially lessen competition. And they ordered both sides to meet to discuss proposed redactions to the opinion but you know apparently like after this decision was ruled Simon Schuster did not like extend the purchase agreement or rather Paramount Global which owns Simon Schuster did not extend the purchase agreement it had with Penguin's random how to acquire them so that basically terminated the purchase and it forced Penguin Random House to pay Paramount Global like a 200 million termination fee which is odd because it's like Paramount Global was the one who needed to extend the purchase agreement, but then they refused to extend it, which voided the acquisition. But Penguin Random House is the one who has to pay like a termination cancel fee. So it's kind of strange how that works. But basically, it seems that now what's going to happen is that Paramount Global is still looking to sell Simon & Schuster in 2023, but it's going to await like a price that will match the publishing company's improved performance. So I think another reason they didn't like kind of extend the agreement is because like Simon & Schuster has been doing better uh, financially recently, and they're like, oh, we can get a better price for this company than what we originally had in the Steeler Pick and Random House. But yeah, because like Simon & Schuster's profits were like up 29% in the first nine months of 2022 compared to 2021. But like uh, if they, I mean, I don't know like who they're going to try and sell it to. It certainly doesn't seem like they can sell it to like another one of the big publishers because I mean, the judge blocked like Penguin Random House acquiring Simon & Schuster. So I guess they're going to find another buyer that I guess is does not already have a publishing arm that would kind of be seen as oh creating like a monopoly or reducing the competition in the market as much but i guess it remains to be seen but yeah i mean this basically means that again the two of the biggest publishers for now will continue to remain independent they aren't going to merge in with one another which in terms of how that affects manga distribution i mean if that merger had gone through i mean maybe random house already basically handles almost every publisher they handle seven seas kadansha square enix and dark horse and then simon and schuster handles viz so i mean if this merger had happened to be in the entire market it would be handled basically by penguin Random House, but now it's just like, oh, so most of the market is handled by Penguin Random House, but yeah. It'll be interesting to see what Paramount strategy for selling Simon & Schuster is going to be in 2023 and who they're going to sell it to if not Penguin Random House or not another one of the big publishers. 
Moving on to kind of other publisher, other relating news. The owner of Local Manga, the localization company, recently stepped down amidst, you know, a lot of uh, recent controversies about, like, not paying freelancers on time and a bunch of debt issues and stuff. And basically, the owner of local manga, Christopher Hepburn, said he's, he's relinquishing ownership of the company, transitioning to a career in academia, and he's going to try and satisfy the company's debts in full by December 31st before the company undergoes a transfer of ownership and rebranding. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like this guy realized that he cannot handle running, like, a manga publisher and is, like, kind of transitioning to a new career. But, like, the business is going to be sold, so, like, their operations and and localization efforts will continue, or at least, like, the state of their licenses will still be kept with them under new ownership. So, that's kind of an interesting development there. And then uh, kind of moving on to the more Japanese side of the industry or related things to the Japanese publishers. So Shueisha recently requested Spanish advertisers to take down alleged ads on pirate sites. So, you know, they basically asked the Spanish advertising company to stop its advertising and issuance revenue to 27 different manga pirate sites, and the company complied with the request. And this was an important move because it was the first time, according to NHK, that a Japanese publishing company issued such a request to a foreign advertising company. And yeah, that basically sets a good precedent for them to reach out to other like foreign companies and say, hey, don't advertise on these pirate sites because they are taking and hosting our content illegally and you are making revenue off of illegitimately hosted content, unlicensed content. So yeah, I think that could probably set a good precedent for them to reach out to other like advertising companies uh, and kind of start to kind of whittle down, crack down on removing these sites' abilities to find advertising partners and providers. And that's basically what the Shueisha executive spoke to NHK on the incident. Like, they acknowledged that pirate sites might just switch to different providers, but cutting them off from these sources of revenues is, like, kind of one of the main ways to eliminate them. So I think this is a good strategy, and this is a good move and effort towards that. And then the final big piece of industry news I wanted to mention has to do, again, with the Japanese industry side of things. And we talked about it when it was announced that Japan launched a new invoice system that was very controversial in like how it was being implemented, what that would mean in terms of both mangaka unable to keep their privacy because, you know, invoices needed to be verified and have like creators use their real names and be publicly accessible and you know there'd be other like information issues and there'd be a huger taxation burden on freelancers and stuff like that so there has been a recent like survey that went out that was like uh, conducted basically it was done to measure like how people mangaka would feel about the implementation like what the impact would be on them if it was implemented this new invoice act and basically according to mangaka Ryan Yutaka based on this industry survey 98% of respondents were sole proprietors and among them 20.6% 
reported that they feared that the invoice system, if implemented, would force them to go out of business because under the new system, freelancers or sole proprietors will lose tax stamp status because invoices will be subject to the consumption tax. And uh, according to Yataka, like Mongars face like a difficult situation because their royalties are unstable and manuscript fees are flatlined to the long-term stagnation of the Japanese economy and the recession in the publishing industry. So she argues that if artists need to hire accountants to pay taxes on their invoices, they're going to be forced out of business. And the survey was conducted from November 3rd to 10th, and um, only 17 out of the nearly 1,300 respondents were in favor of this invoice. That's the m- most of the people, vast majority of people, do not understand who or what the system is for, even though they understand it. It would not help them at all. And uh, it also will severely impact manga assistance because 31% of assistance currently make between 1 to 2 million, which is like just 7.2,000 to 14.4 thousand dollars per year. And 30% make less than a million, which is like less than 7.2 thousand dollars a year. So 60% make less than 2 million yen, essentially. So more than half of manga assistants can't make a living unless they work a side job and so the invoice system will worsen the situation fewer people will be able to become manga artists to support themselves by being manga artists and so that could have a big impact on the the manga industry like only it could be only like the most successful the most well-known publishers and artists like able to make a living off of their work and of course as mentioned before like this act could compromise privacy because again invoices need to be verified under actors real names so actors who want to keep their real names private will have to expose themselves publicly which is a huge privacy concern and yeah like people in the anime industry freelancers in the anime industry are also concerned like 60% are concerned about the impact and one in four respondents in the survey said that they're afraid of going out of business altogether uh, according to Masao Ueda who is a former Sunrise producer and a representative director at Skyfall he said that you know people call the anime industry a black industry but in recent years like the industry as a whole has been working to improve the work environment and ensure employees as for animators but the reality is not everyone could be an employee and the importance of supporting freelance will mean in changing future so forcing freelancers especially animators to close their businesses will mean that young people will no longer be able to enter the industry and he fears that the anime industry will be devastated in a few years time uh even voice actors are like you know kind of getting into this because most voice actors also like over three-fourths of them make less than three million yen a year like 21.6 thousand dollars and in the survey like a quarter than 27 percent responded that they could go out of business due to no info system and 80 percent have said that they're not been briefed by their agency and clients about the invoice system which is was supposed to you know be implemented starting at the end of october or as of the end of october they have not really seen any more updates on it and among the 20% who have been briefed about the invoice system and how it would affect them, they reported that they could not be promised future contracts unless they were registered or that their pay would be reduced and not operate a taxable business. And again, according to voice actress uh, Maya Okamoto, she remarked that if voice actors are not directly told this, they may quietly be turned down for roles without ever knowing like the reason like they could be turned down for roles because they do not operate as a freelancer in a way that follows these guidelines of invoice act and our taxable business as sustainable 
So, yeah, basically kind of the advocacy group that is like opposed to the invoice system, the stop invoice group there, they were speaking with the House of Representatives uh, in a caucus to try and reevaluate the invoice system. They claim that like 5 million people in Japan are going to be negatively affected by the system in some way. So the meeting that they had with the House of Representatives had like 55 uh, members who were mostly in agreement with them. And... Yeah, so the system is incredibly unpopular, and yet in spite of that, you know, the number of registered users of the system has been increasing. It has like 1.43 million registered users at the end of October, which is up like 228,000 from the end of September, and like around 200,000 new registries have been filed every month. But uh, the number of taxable businesses is estimated to be 3 million, so already half seem to have been registered. And the argument in the favor of the system is that it's necessary to properly calculate taxes under multiple brackets. But you know, so you know, again, there are a lot of ramifications clearly that it'll have on freelancers because it's most freelancers in the entertainment industries in Japan don't make a ton of money in their professions, and so like this new system puts a huge financial strain on them and uh, will severely impact their ability to make a living continue doing the work they're doing so it's a developing story we'll see if these efforts by the stop invoice advocacy group helps change plans for this system whether they'll go back on implementing it or they'll revise it to lessen the burdens on freelancers we'll see how it turns out but it definitely it seems that a lot of people could be negatively affected by it if it is implemented without changes to account and accommodate people of lower income brackets. But that does it for the big industry news that's going on a lot. You know, major industry stuff happened. But now we're going to transition into talking about some interest pieces. And Moto Hakio was recently inducted into the Order of the Rising Sun. And this is a award that basically serves as like Japan's like second highest decoration. There are eight classes in the Order of the Rising Sun. And Hagio received like the gold raised with neck ribbon. She is one of just like a few creators to have ever received this ribbon. Others include like actress Kirin Kiki, who is in The Secret World of Arietti. Uh, other mangaka include like Shinji Musashami, who did Dokuben, and Tetsushiba, who did Ishino Joe, and Leiji Matsumoto. Even like uh, Frederick Schott uh, received this award. But yeah, so it's a really cool award. And she said that she was surprised to win this award, but. You know, she believes there's further room for research into more shoujo and jose manga from a cultural history perspective, and she hopes that her award will provide hope and encouragement to young creators. And again, it's definitely a war that's well-deserved because she is such a pioneer of shoujo and shonen manga. She is like one of the greats of manga creation. So yeah, I am very happy that she has won such a prestigious accolade and is considered among one of the most culturally significant and important artists. And yeah, I hope to see more great creators also receive rewards like uh, her in the future. 
So that was really cool. Congratulations to Mochahagio. Now we'll move into some anime film movie news. First, we'll talk about the box office for One Piece Film Red. And it had a pretty good opening. It opened to 9.3 million on its opening weekend. It was able to rank number two in the box office, which is pretty good. It only made about a half as much as Black Adam did on uh, that weekend. But still, for, you know, a opening weekend of an anime film, it's still very strong. Reporting for the film has kind of slowed to a trickle, uh, has not been up to date for a while since its second weekend. And the film did plummet uh, quite a bit in the box office in its second weekend. Like it only made about like, I think, 1.5 million in its second weekend. It dropped to like number eight for the weekend. So it did not really have the staying power of you know, Dragon Ball Superhero or Jujutsu Kaisen. But for One Piece, this is the, by far the best performance One Piece has ever had in the North American box office. Because like One Piece Stampede, it made like $1.3 million in the North American box office. So, I mean, this opening is already like, the opening in itself was nine times times that. And the end of its box office run, I'm sure it'll round up to somewhere around like 15 million. And that's nothing to sneeze at. That's about about as good, if not a bit better than what the My Hero Academia films have done. So still a very strong showing for it, even though it did not have a ton of staying power, unlike the likes of uh, other recent anime releases. Mm, yeah, if the US gross ends up being around 15 million or so it has potential to get close to beating out Ponyo, maybe it looks like, possibly. I don't know if it'll get into like the top 10 anime films in the US or whatever, but yeah, it's it's gonna be pretty close. Yeah, I mean, it still has done very well for itself and it shows that, you know, enthusiasm for One Piece is really strong, much stronger now in North America and there was definitely like a push that paid off in like giving it an expanded theatrical release rather than the limited release previous One Piece films have had because people did show up and there was a lot of success and enthusiasm for it. Well, I hope the next One Piece film that comes out over here does even better. Yeah, I'm sure that... One Piece's popularity, its reputation will continue to rise. I mean, hopefully, perhaps the Netflix adaptation will spread awareness of it even more. We will see. But there's always going to be more and more One Piece fans, you know, as the years continue, as as long as it has gone. You know, there's always going to be more people to get into it and discover it. So, yeah, I could only see that we'll see future films have even more success uh, in the same way that, you know, the Dragon Ball films have continuously had more and more success at the box office with the greater expansion of theaters and also just, you know, of course, more and more people are getting into that series uh, every day as well. So. Mm-hmm. But yeah, One Piece Film Red did not necessarily break any like records in the same way like something like Dragon Ball Superhero did, but still did the best any One Piece has done at the North American box office, which is cool. Mm -hmm. For other box office kind of update things, the latest Detective Conan movie, The Bride of Halloween, uh, the 25th Detective Conan movie that came out this year, it was recently reported that after its most uh, recent like Halloween special rescreening, it has become the highest grossing film in the franchise with about 9.5 billion yen or about like 64 million US dollars. So it is the most successful Conan film. And I think that 
you know, they are going to try and continue to top their box office successes again and again. But yeah, this uh, was the highest grossing film since Fist of Blue Sapphire, which uh, was, you know, the film before last year's film. So, oh, man, I, you know, I've been hearing a lot of good things about Bride of Halloween. I really, really hope Discotheque or I should say I, I, I hope TMS brings it over through discotheque because i i really want to see it yeah i am really you know with again the success of anime films at the box office i am very surprised that tms has kind of been dragging their feet and like releasing conan films theatrically or trying to and i would like to see them try and experiment with it regardless i do think that it is inevitable we'll get like the home video release we'll get this at some point uh, hopefully uh, but yeah i would like to see them start trying to do some screenings for these films in north american TV outside too. of a convention tms if you're listening yeah We've got con screenings, but we definitely could use more uh, theatrical releases. For sure. Um, but can I talk about the next Conan movie coming up? Sure. So yes, with the success, once again, of Bride of Halloween, obviously, we're getting another Conan movie. It's coming out next year on April 14th. And uh, at first, they were kind of teasing us a bit because they were kind of being cheeky about like what the movie was going to be. And all we got was Detective Conan, Kuro, something, something. And I'm sure everybody was like, "Ooh, I bet this is going to be a black organization movie. Or, and, I, and I'm sure it will be. But uh, it was like, well, what's the, what's the title of the movie going to be? And uh, th- thanks to our friends at uh, Weekly Chicago Cod Edition at WS's Talkback, you, you should follow them for all your shoggy news the next detective conan movie will be called detective conan the iron submarine which uh sounds pretty cool actually and it looks like yuzuru takchikawa director of bob cycle 100 the anime is going to be coming back to do this movie uh they originally did zeros enforcer they're going to be directing this film along with uh takiharu sakurai that'll be writing the script and Yugo Kano, who uh, you may know as the composer for most of the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure anime, as well as the previous Detective Conan movie, Bride of Halloween, will be providing the music for this film. And yeah, we already have like a special illustration drawn by Aoyama himself, as we always do. Uh, from the teaser, it looks like this is going to be a very Hybara-focused film. And so, yeah, I mean, look, I think Hybara is a pretty cool character. She is, as we've discussed, the most popular female character in Detective Conan. So I think it makes sense to finally do a movie like solely about her at some point. Yeah, I mean, Countdown to Heaven was about her, but this seems to be even more of a tighter focus. And, you know, Hyber is my favorite character, so of course I'm excited for this and having, you know, another Hyber-focused story. I hope that this is better than most movies involving the Black Organization are, because... You know, Black Organization movies haven't ended up being, like, the the best. Like, uh, Movie 20 was not the very good. Uh, so. That's unfortunate, because um, I just actually watched Countdown to Heaven for uh, One Podcast Prevails. People should go listen to that episode. Uh, and uh, I really liked that movie. And I like Countdown to Heaven, but I feel like Raven Chaser and then Movie 20, Darkest Nightmare, those were a little disappointing. You know, there's only so much you can do when you try to get the track organization directly evolved. And uh, it always ends up being a little disappointing or like going for like spectacle without too much substance to really appreciate, even though you can have fun novelty stuff like uh, Muro and Akai like fighting on top of a Ferris wheel and stuff like that. There's like fun, there's fun spectacle stuff, but like in terms of like the plotting of the movies, 
being the the strongest or the mystery being the most interesting they're not always the best in that regard i much prefer kid movies that's a general like complaint that i've heard amongst like our friends in particular that the most current conan movies the modern conan movies are much more like action spectacles and that's kind of mostly what they are and nothing else that's true but like they can do them well. There are ones that can do them well. Like Fist of the Blue Sapphire was excellent. That's like one of the that might be one of the best Conan movies, and it has and it gets so over the top <laughs> at the end. What with like the f- freaking like boat on the top of the hotel building like crashing down or something. It's just in crazy scale and spectacular in that, but still like the core mystery and the character stuff was really strong. So I thought that was great, and you know it just felt like dark. Darkest Nightmare just it just did not quite gel Look, in the Darkest same way. Darkest Nightmare is pretty dumb, I will admit, but like I don't know that that's kind of up my alley personally. But I, I know not everybody's going to really gel with that. I mean, I I want a story that just has a little more talk put behind it. Substance. I mean, like just uh, it just the the, the old core like conflict mystery just did not super work compellingly in that one. So then it just ended up being like, oh, here's like uh, the spectacle of like uh, here like Akai Amuro, uh, this Ferris wheel going off rails and all this stuff. Um, but hopefully this will be a little better. And like I said, I've heard good things about Bride of Halloween, so I'm I'm hoping this will be just as good, if not better. Yeah, same here. And there's a lot of other cool movie news to be excited for. So the Kaguya-sama film is opening Japanese theaters on September 17th. They got a little preview of it, like the first third of it at Anime NYC. And it was also revealed there that it will be coming to U.S. theaters in February 2023. So that's very exciting. I'm definitely keen to check out the Kaguya-sama film when it hits theaters next February. I'm also interested in checking out another anime film next February, and that's the next Sword Art Online progressive film, Shiajo of A Deep Night. I really enjoyed the first Sword Art progressive film and its focus on Asuna, and that really did improve the story uh, immensely, just focusing on her. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to checking out the second film and continuing on the retelling of Sword Art from her perspective. In terms of other anime film news, we are getting a 10-count film adaptation of the BL manga by Rikito Takarai. It's going to come out in 2023. It's going to star Shinosuke Hachibana as Tadomi and Tomoyakoyo Mueno as Riku Kurose. So Toyama, who has worked on the Pokemon movies, is directing the anime's writing the screenplay. And Tomomi Shimazaki, who designed for Elegant Yokai Apartment Life, is designing the characters and and it's going to be produced by East Fish Studio and Synergy SP and distributed by Pony Canyon. And this movie news comes after a television anime was originally planned for 2020, but then postponed and went into kind of development hell, essentially. And then now it's been retooled as a film. And I'm glad that it's uh, still being made and coming out. The anime adaptation is 10 count. And it's a series that I've heard great things about for a very long time, meaning to check out. So definitely this encourages me to get back on it and check the film when it comes out. And hopefully it gets a theatrical release over here as well. 
I'm also hoping, and I'm definitely expecting, that Naoko Yamada's new film with Sari and Saru will get a theatrical release overseas as well. We don't really know too much about what the film is about, but Yamada is currently working on the storyboard. So obviously I love Naoko Yamada's films. I love Silent Voice and Liz and the Bluebird. And yeah, I'm very, very excited for her next project. We are also going to be getting a new Godzilla work from director Takashi Yamazaki, who is known for mainly directing a lot of live-action films, like he did the Parasite live-action films, but he's also directed CG films, like Stand By Me Doraemon films. So we don't quite know whether it's going to be a live-action project or it's going to be a animated a CG anime project like the Doraemon film. But yeah, we have a new Japanese Godzilla film to look forward to by a pretty well-reputed director. I really love Stand By Me Doraemon, so uh, you know, I'm, the Godzilla's a very different thing, but I'm definitely down for that. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited for another new Japanese Godzilla film. Speaking of kind of live-action-y related film news, we got some more updates on the Your Name Hollywood uh, live-action remake in that they have hired Carlos Lopez Estrada to rewrite and direct it. They previously worked on stuff like Ryan the Last Dragon and Blood Splatting in Summertime. This comes after the previous director, Lee Isaac Chung, who worked on like Minari. They left the production uh, due to scheduling conflicts. And yeah, so it looks like work on the Your Name remake is still going along. Uh, it has new hands and a new writer and director. And I'm interested in seeing the direction it continues to take and how it continues to develop. So that is some cool film news to look forward to in terms of like new stuff going up. But uh, there's also stuff that's coming to home video soon and it's been licensed. Some older films have been licensed for release. I really enjoyed seeing Inuo in theaters earlier this year, Masaki Yuasa's latest film, and that's going to be coming out on home video soon. It's going to have digital release on December 28th. It's going to have its Blu-ray DVD release uh, in partnership with Sound Factory on January 3rd port, and it's going to have an English dub. The theatrical screenings in the US were only the sub, but now the dub will be available in time for the home video release, and what I like about it is that they cast, like, great queer and trans actors to play Inuo and Tomona, because the film is itself very queer and I, I really appreciate those casting choices and the direction the dub sounds great from the trailer so I am very excited to watch the film again dubbed and I think G Kids generally does fantastic work with their dubs Another G-Kids license I'm excited for is Giovanni's Island. This is a film by Production IG that came out back in 2014, directed by Mizuo Noshibiko and uh, written by Shigemichi Sugita and Yoshiki Sakurai. And this is going to come out on home entertainment platforms sometime in, they say this year as in 2022 at their panel, but I think probably more likely 2023. But basically, this is about like two brothers who live in a tiny fishing island that has been spared from the devastation of World War II. And they're named after Giovanni Campanella from the Night on Galactic Railroad, which became a source of solace to them and the country in the aftermath of Japan's Vietnam War. And then Soviet forces end up arriving with their families to settle on the island. And like one of the brothers meets the daughter of the commander of the Soviet forces. And despite the language barrier and the tension between their cultures, like, they form like a friendship. So that sounds like a very sweet story and a good, like, wartime drama. And I'm very keen to watch and check it out. 
Eleven Arts has also licensed a cool film recently. They licensed Blue Thermal, and they are premiering. They've premiered it at Anime Frontier, and they will probably have it out on like home video. Maybe hopefully even do a theatrical screening of it next year. But basically, this film uh, was directed by Masaki Tachibana, who also directed stuff like Tokyo Magnitude Eight and Barakamon and Princess Principal. The script was written by Natsuki Takashi, who also wrote Tokyo Magnitude Eight and also wrote for My Love Star and My Farewell, Mandy Kramer, and it was distributed by Toei. And basically this film is about a girl who loves volleyball, but, you know, she tries to find an extracurricular club at her new school, and she dings a glider at the aviation club tryouts and has to work it off as part of the club. And she's initially disillusioned with her campus life, but... Then she's taken under the wing of the club leader and she becomes a captive of the vast beauty of Sorry, she really gets into it. So it sounds like a cool film about like being a part of a aviation club and this girl finding like a new passion. And yeah, I'm really interested in checking it out. And uh, there are other cool new things to check out. And speaking of other theatrical reasons to look forward to, I think you wanted to tackle the next one. Yeah, so it was confirmed at Anime NYC by Suburia Productions that Fathom Events will be screening Studio Kara's Shin Ultraman film in the US starting on January 11th and 12th. Uh, I think it's only going to be a two-day screening. Admittedly, I have not really dabbled a lot into Ultraman, but I have a lot of friends who are very into it. So... I don't know. I've always been kind of interested in checking out these, like, this series of, like, Shin films, because obviously you have this and Shin Godzilla that came out a few years ago, and then Shin Kamen Rider is going to be a film that's going to come out, I think, next year or the year after. I don't remember off the top of my head, but... Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of Ultraman fans excited for this. And uh, hey, you know what? Hopefully it's good enough for, for a newbie, because uh, I'm I'm thinking about checking this out. Oh, absolutely. I definitely am excited to check this out in theaters. And I'm glad that uh, it's getting put in theaters here. And especially, you know, with Hideaki Anno's involvement in the project, you know, with him being such a huge Ultraman geek and nerd, I'm excited to see what his input, what that brought to the table. And uh, the director, Shinji Higuchi, has done some great work on other projects that I've enjoyed as well. So I'm interested on uh, how his touch also affected, like, the, the direction of it. Like, they directed Shin Godzilla, so... I'm very excited to see how Shin Ultraman turns out as a similar, like, refresh of a classic franchise. For sure. I definitely can't wait to check it out if I have the chance. Next thing I'll mention really quickly is that uh, Dragon Quest, The Adventure of Dai, the 2020 animated adaptation from Toei, has gotten a new English dub just recently uh, that, as far as I could tell, is only available on Hoopla, Microsoft Store and Voodoo at the time of this recording. Maybe it'll be available other places at some point, but it seems like those are the only places right now that you can watch it. So is it a dub of the whole show? How far has it gotten? I'm, I'm not, I wasn't sure if you knew that. The first 25 episodes, Okay. the first season has been dubbed so far, I believe. Okay. Well, considering this show is now, uh, it ended at 100 episodes, I'm hoping they'll be able to do the whole thing. Yeah, I think so. And it's cool that it's now available to watch and stream. You know, if you just have a library card, you can stream it on Hoopla for free, which is great. 
So, yeah, I'm very, very uh, excited to check out the dub uh, of it more. So I have previewed a little bit of it with Relord, but now I'm definitely keen to catch up on the show. And now watching a dub will definitely help with that. I remember watching the first episode and I was thinking like, oh, this seems pretty fun. And I, I just... Never really had the chance to go back to it. I probably should get back to this because I've, I've always wanted to check out Die in particular. In terms of other, like, kind of new anime news to look forward to, Ryoko Narita's manga Dead Mount Dead Play is getting a TV anime in April 2023. I've enjoyed what I've read of it and what I've heard about uh, the future developments of it. It is being produced by, uh, well, it's being directed by Manabu Ono, who directed like Soccer Wars Animation and SEO Salization, who's also supervising these scripts while playing them alongside Yuki Sogawara, who did scripts for Overlord and Vampire Dies in No Time, as well as Yoriko Tomita, who wrote for Dress Up Darling and As Miss Steve's Bob Likes It, and uh, Takahiro Okuma from Diaries of a Breakwater, uh, Fridays the Breakwater is going to be sub-director, while Yoshiki Kitai is going to be assistant director. It's going to be animated by Geek Toys. Designs will be from Hisashi Abe, who designed for stuff like Showbits, Gunsinger Girl, Psycho Passengers of the System. Takayuki Yamaguchi will be sound director. Half HP Studio is going to be doing sound production, and music will be composed by FMF. So, yeah, I mean, it looks like a promising collection of people are going to be handling this project. I don't know too many projects that Geek Toys has produced on their own, but uh, they've have contributed animation work to a lot of uh, different projects, a lot in the production systems and a lot of different projects. So, yeah, I'm curious to see how this turns out. But yeah, this series has been on for quite a bit, so it's cool to see it's finally gotten an anime adaptation, and uh, I'm curious to see how it'll turn out. Moving on from anime show news, so let's talk about like uh, anime con news because you know anime in my C twenty twenty two the fifth anime in my C just ended, and of course you know it was a big success, so it's going to be back next year, and we now know that uh, it's going to take place November seventeenth to nineteenth in twenty twenty three, and not only is it going to still be at the Javits Center, but they're going to try and expand the convention to be the full Javits Center instead of just half of it as it's been in the past couple of years. So they're finally you know going to be like accommodating the fact that anime sees like attendance has grown so much year after year that they're like yes we can now use the entire javits center the entire space to accommodate our programming and have even more stuff available and i think that's a great move to be able to do that because it has grown so much and i think that that will give it even more opportunities to host even more cool events and stuff and allow even more people to attend them too. And in addition to that, uh, as an alternative, rather, they're also going to look to add other nearby venues in the Hudson Yards and Times Square neighborhoods to also host programming. So yeah, you know, we just recorded our Anime NYC report. I'll try to get that out as soon as possible. But suffice to say, we really enjoyed our experience at the con this year. We think that they really improved it over last year in terms of how it was managed and run, how they used the space. And I think if they can continue to use even more of the Javits Center space to allow 
again, even more programming, even more space for people to attend stuff, to maneuver. I think it will improve the experience even more so. So I'm very excited for what the next year's anime NYCC will in store. Speaking of other things to look forward to next year, free comic book day 2023 will be next year. And, you know, we've got our lineup for some of the manga offerings that will be available on that day. This includes previews of Shaman King Flowers and Chojin X. In addition to Trojan X, Invis's sampler will also be Rooster Fighter, and Kadansha will also have an All Ages sampler that will include Lovely Muko. They will also have like a silver sponsor title, which will be Shaman King Flowers, and Welcome to Demon School Irumakan. Viz's silver sponsor title will be like Animal Crossing New Horizons, and the Kirby manga by Hiro Kazuhikawa. So cool Viz and Kadansha samplers to check out at your local comic shop on Free Comic Book Day, which will be May 6th of next year. So a bit of a ways away, but cool to know what you can expect and what will be in store a couple months ahead. Um, But yeah, I think we got through all of our news. Yeah, I think that we managed it, you know, in our documents, you know, is a a lot of pages of news, but we managed to cover them all in less than three hours of raw recording time. So yeah, that's pretty good on us for being efficient. We managed to scarf down all of these leftovers, you know, really stuff them in a short amount of time, you know, so we don't have to keep like eating them for another month and just leave them in the fridge, (laughs) just slowly picking away at them. Uh, We we took care of it in one sitting. Well, uh, you say that, but I think it's time for dessert. And by dessert, I mean community shout outs. Yeah, so as mentioned on the top of the show, for our bonus punt this month, we had a discussion of One Piece Film Red. If you want even more Film Red discussions, because of course a lot of great folks have talked about the film, for another uh, bonus pod you can support and check out, go and listen to Weekly Manga Recaps bonus pod on One Piece Film Red, where Chris basically recapped the film to Nick, who didn't go out and see it, but Chris does a great job of, you know, talking about the film, that's describing it in a fun way, and then, like, all the things that, you know, stood out to her and stuff like that, so I enjoyed hearing her discuss it and talk about it and banter about it with Nick and making jokes and comparisons to, like, Pokemon 3 and all sorts of fun quips, so definitely check out WMR for a humorous recap review of the film for a spoiler-free kind of newbie-friendly approach to the film. You can check out the Wido's coverage of the film where they basically talk about, oh, is the film like, you know, accessible to newcomers? What they thought about the film in terms of like their own One Piece journey as more like recent fans, uh, Nature and Kyle did, and like what, you know, they think it could have done better. Things that they liked in terms of key moments, what they felt about like Shanks' role in it. So definitely check that out for some more succinct, spoiler-free tops. Uh, if you want like a big discussion that is both like spoiler-free and also spoiler-filled, you can listen to the One Piece podcast 
review of film red where you know half of it is like you know spoiler free half of it is addresses spoilers and of course like their round table is really good they talked about the film also like v lord and saki having seen it at the animation is film festival so it's a good discussion about their like experience uh, watching the film there including like how as sick i can described they started playing the substance of the dub at first and that confusion so they had some fun convo on that so definitely check that out for written reviews, you can check out Zach Wilkerson on Multiverse Comics review One Piece from Red. I think that he had a really great analysis uh Uta's character arc and what he thought really stood out and worked so well about her, but also some of the shortcomings the film has in terms of underlining her motivations and tying it in with the Thought Musica plot device, but overall having a really good assessment of what makes it work really emotionally. And similarly, I think our good friend Marion did a really fantastic analysis and review of the film as well for the comics beat. Also, going over so many different angles of the film, like talking about Uta's character, what stands out about her in terms of concept, in terms of her use in the movie, how the songs were implemented and directed, the role of Shanks in the movie, Luffy and Uta's relationship, discussion of like the ending, and its implications and implications of canonicity and yeah I, Marion covered the film in so many angles I think that their review is super comprehensive so if you enjoy hearing their thoughts on our bonus pod definitely go out and read their review because it is also just truly excellent and also check out Marion's other writing that they've started to do for Comic Speed they've also started writing for them and doing some discussion of other manga at Webtoons. They recently had an article published on a Webtoon they read recently called True Beauty, which is about a girl who, through makeup, hides, like, a lot of her blemishes and conceals her true face, which, you know, she is very kind of ashamed of. And she has a lot of nerdy interest she can't really engage with most people with because, you know, with her, like, new appearance, she kind of fits more with the popular crowd and she has to keep up, like, that persona but then she meets like a guy who kind of shares like her interests in manga and movies and stuff and she starts to form a friendship with him that slowly becomes more of a relationship and I think Marion did a really good job just like describing and throwing this series and it made, it made me as someone who was hadn't read it like really interested in it like describing how it develops how the character arcs play out and how it addresses its core team and what are the standout aspects of the story and its art so i really appreciated marion's review of it and i think they're doing really great work for the comic speech writing about cool comics and stuff so definitely check out more of their writing there and you know just uh, continue on the train of like highlighting your good friend marion uh, they were also on manga recommendations recently to talk about you know their experience at nbc but also talk about chainsaw man uh, volumes like sevens to nine like kind of the arc world the devil hunters come after denji and stuff so yeah it was a fun discussion it was great to hear them interact with the manga mac crew and really gel vibe like immediately with them and uh, it was a lot of fun so definitely listen to marion on there as well and also since i don't know if i've uh, recommended yet definitely check out the new york comic-con panel that marion and darfox and deb did uh this manga is awesome panel where they basically made like manga recommendations based on 
on a lot of different categories like I'm sick of this genre or my favorite guilty pleasure manga or like manga my mom or dad are like and all that kind of stuff like they had like these really fun categories to recommend different manga in and yeah like it was a really fun panel and to definitely check that out too if you have not seen it yet it's on manga manga nation's youtube channel darfox uploaded it on there and for some other like videos slash like video essays I enjoy, Mr. Fusion has started up his dissection series on Dragon Ball GT. He's continuing Dragon Ball Dissection into Dragon Ball GT and he just started off with kind of like a primer video exploring what GT is from like its inception to like, you know, the implications of like what does that mean and how we're supposed to think of and treat GT. And I really appreciated like kind of him outlining just like how he's approaching the show and then like how he's going to approach a now analyzing the show in a way you know that's still in the tradition of how he did his Dragon Ball section series for the manga but you know he's going to reflect the circumstances of the show and expectations therein and yeah, I'm very excited for it. Like in this year's Dragon Ball, the second December, he's really going to be starting off reviewing the show in earnest. So I'm very, very excited for that. And another video that I've been looking for for a long time, because uh, they've been working on it for a long time, and that finally came out was Tamashi Hiroka's video on Pokemon Coliseum. And even though I love that game, like they were pretty harsh on it, but I appreciate their reasoning of like going into like why they feel like the game just did not live up to what they were looking for out of a Pokemon game, a Pokemon RPG game at the time and also like kind of the frustrating aspects of the gameplay in the context of greater frustrating aspects of like how Generations 3 games were all supposed to link together and flow together and I appreciated just her outlining her problems with the game conceptually and then just technically even though I still hold the game fondly and I know a lot of people do because I also shared in a previous mini shoutouts Canapa effects more glowing reappraisal of Pokemon Coliseum. But again, I always appreciate uh, Tana's like video essays on Pokemon and she's been making a lot of videos recently like even though this was like a long long video since then she has put out like even more videos talking about like kind of pokemon's multiplayer talking about pokemon stadium so definitely like check out her channel because she's been updating it really frequently now with some great essays just touching upon different aspects of pokemon's gameplay and stuff but yeah her coliseum retrospective uh, was a really fun watch and I think the last thing that I want to shout out is, you know, we're coming up to the end of the year. So a lot of like outlets, a lot of folks are like kind of doing these celebratory best manga of the year awards stuff. And a new one that has started off that I think is really cool is Komi Manga Rocks and then Riley, the Omnibus Critic, Shoujo, Jose News, Cass, and Yuki White, also known as Shiva. They have all kind of teamed up to kind of create the first show Jose of the Year Awards. Where basically it's going to be open to like just all fans through like a Google form for people to like nominate their favorite shoujo or Jose titles and they can nominate any titles like just their favorite series in this Google form. And in addition to just nominating their favorite series, the judges of the contest Colleen, Riley, Shoujo Jose World, Yuki, and Cass, they also are going to be giving judge awards 
awards, which are like categories like Shoujo of the Year, Jose of the Year, Romance of the Year, Action of the Year, Comedy of the Year, and Smut of the Year. And so, yeah, uh, they are basically like hosting this. And uh, nominations might be closed by the time this episode is out, but I just wanted to mention this as like something that I recommend people like keeping an eye out for because I, I think it's really cool to like have kind of an awards project that is specifically dedicated to Shoujo and Justice series, which are often like kind of underrepresented or underrecognized in these kind of like big fan event things. So I think that will about do it for the shout outs I want to share on this episode. There's been a ton of great stuff that is being published and posted. Uh, these are the things I'll just leave you with for today. But there's always a lot more to discuss and discover. And I'm excited to share even more in future episodes. But for now, we'll let you know where you can discover us if you want to hear more about the stuff uh, we're discussing. Or at least see it. I'd hear it at other places. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. We hope you uh, enjoyed once again our monthly news roundup. And the plan for next episode, like we've mentioned earlier in the episode, is that uh, we are going to be doing another Cyber Pubs episode where we are going to be going through the latest series from Shonen Jump as well as uh, the newest Cyber Pub on Azuki with Natsume and Natsume. So not as many Cyber Pubs next episode as we have had to cover on the last few, but like I said earlier, I'm, I'm really interested in getting to some of these series, and I'm really interested in what we're going to have to say about them. And so, yeah, that's what you can look forward to on the next episode of the podcast. But until then, we are going to let you guys know where you can find us, us individually and the podcast, uh, starting with my good friend Lum. Where can the good people find you? You can find me as Lum Ramiyasha on Twitter for however long Twitter still lasts, as well as Lum Ramiyasha on a variety of other places like Anisha Revelation, Annie List, Letterboxd, Twitter's Lum Ramiyasha. You can find me there under that name. You can also read my manga reviews or my other writing and interviews on mangaroads.com. We've got a lot planned to be published, so look forward to more on there. That's also you can find the other podcasts I do. The Yours the Outstar Focus podcast, Lum Squad, which has the wonderful, wacky world of these classic sci-fi rom-com manga. We're having a lot of fun discussing the manga, the movies, the new anime. We have recorded a lot of podcasts, so you definitely have a lot planned to be released soon, and we're having a lot of fun talking about the series. It's a really great time to be a Yorosi Yatsu fan and a Rubiko Takahashi fan in general. So look forward to more weird and weird podcasts put together on our feeds. And you can follow Lum Squad on Twitter at Lum Squad. And you can find our channel on YouTube by just searching for it in the channel bar. We're also on every podcast platform you can think of. Apple Plus Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Anchor. We're also cross-posting episodes of the Manga Rats feed and repost episodes early, uh, sometimes quite a bit early, on the Manga Mavericks Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the animations and illustrations that I do, the thumbnails I create for our podcasts, you can find that stuff on my Instagram at SarahWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce a lot of my own other podcasts outside of Manga Mavericks that you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Go over there and you uh, click on the podcast page. You can find links to basically everything I'm doing, including shows that uh, I'm not involved in anymore, but I still want to link anyway, uh, as well as a lot of guest spots I've done on other podcasts over the years. So once again, if you're interested in listening to any of my other stuff or anything I've been on, uh, you can find all my stuff once again over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. 
Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and where you can find us, uh, I mean, first off, you can find every episode of the podcast at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mangamavericks. Uh, we're at the $2 tier. You will have the chance to listen to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of the podcast edited before it's supposed to go up on the main feed, we will put it up on our Patreon first at the $2 tier uh, for patrons to listen to first. But admittedly, that doesn't always happen because of our schedule and whatever we have ready. So really, if you want more reliable content, uh, you really should sign up for our $5 tier. We're over there. We post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month. And yes, as we mentioned at the top of the show, uh, we all got together, Lum, myself, the Saturday Night Shaggy crew with uh, V-Lord, Marion, and Sakaki, all got together to talk about One Piece film Red, since we all saw it in theaters earlier in the month. And yeah, uh, it was a really good discussion. We talked about our uh, our theater experiences. Lum mentioned earlier that uh, V-Lord and Sakaki got to see it at the This Is Animation Film Festival, which is pretty cool. We try to go spoiler-free for at least the first hour until we kind of creep into more spoiler territory. But yes, if you want to know what we thought about the film, you can listen to that at patreon.com slash at the $5 tier, along with a bunch of other bonus podcasts that we have uploaded over the years that our Patreon has been open. But yes, uh, signing up for our Patreon is really the best way for you guys to support our show and everything that we do here. Basically, everything that we make through Patreon goes back to keeping up the podcast and the website. Emergencies that uh, have come up in the past, uh, we've been able to resolve thanks to your guys' support. So really, anything you guys give us really helps. Uh, once again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, but as for everything else, you could follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks, uh, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered on this episode? Uh, are you reading anything that maybe you want us to talk about on the show and check out? Email us anything about manga or the podcast or really anything. We love getting emails from you guys uh, because when we do, we will read them on the show. Once again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Please email us. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, but especially on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify, wherever you can do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating or review or whatever you want to leave us, uh, it really helps the visibility of our show on these platforms. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, uh, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. But that is going to be about it for this episode. This has been episode 220 of the Manga Mavericks podcast, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 221. Bye, guys. Sayonara.